We bought an 80s nostalgia. We hired Beethoven. As you could probably tell. <laughs> we bought a mic late night edition. We bought a mic. We bought a 12 pack of beer. We bought two doubles at work. We After you've already clocked out, of course. We drink some hot sake on the clock. And nobody knows, and I hope they don't listen to my stupid dumb show. Because if they do, I'm gonna get fired. But either way, it's late, and I'm really fucking tired. We all know you have a coke addiction, so you don't yeah. sleep, Drew. I want to apologize for popping off so hard there, but... <laughs> yeah, that was some sweet verses. Are we going to redo that, or is that fine? No, that that's was, fine. That was okay, canon. That was crazy. Welcome! Man. Hello! <laughs> Welcome to We Bought a Mic, episode 33... What? Zero. 30? I, I meant to say 30, 30. comma, three, zero. <laughs> that's oh. really confusing. <laughs> okay, well, it's episode 30. As you can tell, it's episode 30... We've embraced the alcoholism, <laughs> and uh, this is a late night edition. Actually, yeah, man, we have it's the wee mornings. Um, we morning. Hey guys, uh, it's the wee morning. I, we're we're in hey guys, we're in April now. I got I got a joke for you guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not here in person. I'm just uh, I'm just force projecting right now. Is that the joke? April Fools! Oh. I got you. Man, I was like, You were fooled, And then you? I was like, oh, he's joking. Yeah. And then I was like, ha ha ha. Did you notice that my footprint didn't leave a mark in the sand? Yeah. It, you mean the salt? Yeah. Yeah, it's salt. That's why it's red. Uh, I, I tasted it, so I know. I am <laughs> Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And I'm Drew Dietzen, and I just worked a seven-hour shift, and my tootsies hurt. Oh, sad. Happy Easter, if guys. I just, if I just splay my legs out on the table, will you guys each rub one of my feet? Sure. Yeah. While we were recording. So, as you guys could probably expect, we're here to review God is Not Dead Part 2. Mm-hmm. No, I thought it was Sherlock Gnomes Week. Oh. Um, there's so much good stuff right now. It's hard, you know? <laughs> And there's some Spielberg movie out too. It's like, which one are we gonna do? Yeah, that guy's a hack. Yeah, honestly, I only watch Sean Hannity movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're reviewing the new Spielberg film today. Uh, plus, getting into some news, some new music this week, and some things that we've been watching. So, uh, let's get into hashtag Aswabam, guys, because now we have a Twitter. At we bought a mic on Twitter, and people are actually sending us their love. Uh, first, I want to give a quick shout out to Annette. Uh, she sent us a little message about how she loves the show, and mm-hmm. it made her day. It made her laugh. So there you go. You know, we're, we we can shut it down. We yeah. made someone laugh. First we off, we you're welcome. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we can quit our day jobs and all become comedians now. Yeah, yeah our stand-up career is going to take off now because we have thirty episodes of podcasting to show for That's, ourselves. Yeah, ever heard of Malcolm Gladwell? He says ten thousand hours. <laughs> thirty episodes of a podcast is at least five thousand hours. I yeah. can't wait for our. <laughs> we're, we're halfway there. I, I can't wait for our SNL uh, auditions where we just just play an audio clip of all thirty episodes yeah. just linked together. Where we just come on and do some improv music intros. <laughs> Okay, so first, uh, Young Daviel at Honestly Dav on Twitter asks... I think it's Daviel, like... Or Daviel? Daviel, like Daniel, you know? 
not Daviella. I don't maybe. <laughs> he is he is borderline Adio. David. He's Fucking a borderline David. Hispanic person. <laughs> so know. this question actually ties into our featured review for for today. Um but he asks the year is 2048 to, as in 2048 as in the swipe phone game yeah, as in blade runner and you guys find out that they are going to reboot the lord of the rings movies that mm-hmm. will stay true to the novels themselves what is your reaction so obviously you know in this scenario we're three years past the events of ready player one how, how, first of all how old are we in 2048 we are okay like so we're we're in our 40s 50s 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 so we are Three years past the events of Harry Potter one, but one year before the events of tw- Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Okay, yeah. key key fact there. Um, so if they are if if society is at a place where people still care about Lord of the Rings and that they're bringing him back, this means that we're essentially what fifty years ish after the first. Is this assuming that the Amazon series happens? Yeah, Does see, David know about yeah, this? Yeah, so Amazon is currently working on rebooting Lord of the Rings as a series, and word is that they're going to stick a bit closer to the books, the uh, Tolkien novels, than the movies did. I mean, from what I know, Peter Jackson did a pretty damn good job. Yeah, uh, but either way, like regardless of, of whether or not he's aware of that, like the question still stands because I can imagine us just living in a world where everything is rebooted every five years, like until we fucking die. Yeah. So yeah. so assuming that trend continues, you know, this won't be like, oh, finally they did the Lord of the Rings. It'll be like the fifth one. At this, I mean, that'd be like, I mean, because if this Amazon series is going to come to fruition, then that'd be like us hearing like oh guys they're gonna make a game of thrones movie and you're gonna be like so they're gonna combine like seven books or seven uh seasons of the show into just like one movie would not be excited about that yeah i mean so i guess my answer david if you're really really truly (laughs) wondering deep down is yes i'd be excited because i am i do get excited about these tons of things but that is only if I am a disaffected old man who is clinging on to the nostalgia of his youth. Which we all So, will be. yes. <laughs> let's, let's be honest here. I have the real answer for David. Um, by the year 2048, I can guarantee you I still will have not read the uh, Lord of the Rings books. But so you will own I a lot care. of... You, you'll own the Blu-ray you'll just, you'll and I'll the own toys. I'll 2048 yeah. And you'll also just... Time. You'll upload all the information into your consciousness by then. Yeah. The singularity is going to be long... You know, that's going to be happening by then. I'm personally am going to have emotions removed from my consciousness in 2048, so I will not be excited about it. What if you're able to remove you have the option to experience things for the first time and you're able to remove any mm. knowledge selectively so you can choose to experience these new Hon- movies honestly fresh. lord of the rings would be really fucking low on my list <laughs> like i i'm honest i'll be the the tolkien uh guy here oh. i i honestly don't really give a shit about lord of the rings i'm sorry brett like i understand it i get it it was just never a big part of my life and by the time i saw it it I feel like it was just too late to impact me, really. Um, but with that said, I mean they're good, and I, I, you know, honestly, if I'm just some like downtrodden fifty-something-year-old, I'll probably be like, "Oh, cool, they're doing that." Yeah, yeah. it's like, "Oh, Elijah Wood's grandson, cool." Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, thanks for sending that in, David. Um, we love you. Also, qu- real quick, quick, quick shout out to David. He, 
I, I never mentioned this on the podcast, but he gifted me a really awesome Close Encounters of the Third Kind mm. art book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this being a very Spielberg-ish pod, uh-huh. it's a really awesome read. It's just like a just like a coffee table book, but it's it's got all these like original uh, concept drawings and yes. storyboards and little notes from Spielberg, you know, yeah. also, during the making of. He, uh, David also got me a Nathan Fielder poster that's up in my room right now, replacing the Louis C.K. poster that I did have. If we're just talking about gifts that David got me, David got me a really sweet Coheed and Cambria uh, beach towel. And moving on. So I <laughs> okay. knew that was a way to transition. Yes, yeah, the end of the train there. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so. If you want to keep asking us, hashtag Aswabam on Twitter. Um, Adam Sidorius brings us our next question, and he asks, what is the most anticipated indies of the summer for you guys? So I have a, I have a little um, kind of sub-question for this. Like, Are we supposed to pick things that are getting a wide release this summer that premiered at festivals earlier on. I took yes, this or... as it's coming from like a smaller studio, let's say like an A24 or something. So it's not a major budget. It's not a big blockbuster movie, but it's coming out like in the next couple months. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's hands down hereditary from A24. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. also uh, middle school. Oh, eighth grade. Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighth grade. I'm really excited for that. I actually, I had, uh, I had both of those. So that's the, the that's the Bo Burnham directorial debut. And quick shout out, um, if you guys want to, you listeners want to check out the A24 podcast. Their first episode was a conversation between Barry Jenkins and Greta Gerwig, mm. and their second episode is a conversation between Bo Burnham and Gerard Carmichael. Yeah, but also, if you check out We Bought a Mic every week instead, they have a conversation between Ernest Calderon <laughs> and Hunter Mobley and Drew Dietzen. So it's kind of, you know, which one do you choose? You know? Yeah. Um, I am really excited for Hereditary. Um, as listeners of the show know, I'm a huge like horror fan, and I've heard just the general thing from people walking away from this movie is they just say like they're really disturbed and they're just like kind of sitting there with their thoughts which is everything that i want from a horror movie yeah i mean that's what Um, i remember from it comes at night from two years ago yeah dude ready player one fucked me up um i did have one other movie it is being released by focus so it's not exactly an indie movie but i am so excited for it um this is a movie it's premiering at the or it's not premiering, but uh, it's playing at the Florida Film Festival, which I actually uh, got tickets to to go see this movie a couple months early. But it's the movie, uh, the documentary, I should say, Won't You Be My Neighbor, that really uh, goes into the life of um, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Oh, so you got and you got a an invite to the Florida Film Festival for this? I didn't get an invite. I bought tickets oh, to okay, it separately. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so got, I'm going to see Ernest, this. Ernest, he got an invite. Shh. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I'm going to end up seeing this movie on April 11th. I'm sure I'm going to talk about it a little bit on the podcast, but it's getting a wide release on June 8th. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've seen this trailer twice. Mm. I have teared up both times that I have watched this movie. Mr. Rogers. I, I grew up on Mr. Rogers, yeah. and this, I mean, everything from the trailer shows is that this is everything that I've wanted from a Mr. Rogers movie, just because, like, so many people don't, like you watch it and you're just like oh man this is a really good kid show but you don't realize like how revolutionary everything that he's doing is like there's at this time in America whenever the show was coming out like black people couldn't be on television stuff like that and they had a regular on the show who played uh, the um, the police officer who was a 
African-American. And he does all these things to connect with kids in very personal ways. He talked about divorce. He talked about war and loss in ways that no other show talked to kids about. Mr. Rogers is maybe like the – him and like Bob Ross are maybe the purest souls to ever exist in the world. If you look up – if you want to know like what Mr. Rogers is like, look up on YouTube. Uh, Mr. Rogers testifies before Congress. It was in like the seventies. I think it was under Nixon or something. But PBS was about to lose all its funding, and he went to go testify. And the testimony he gave was so like it, it's made me cry before watching. Oh my god! Because he is. He's not like begging for funding. He's just explaining the purpose of his show. And he's like, I feel like people do not communicate with children all these ideas. And I just want them to know that they have a friend somewhere that, yeah, and that his cares whole, about them. His whole thing was that he understood that kids are smart or smarter than any adult lets on that they are mm-hmm. like kids are still and, extremely ex- observant yeah, and it's still lacking in in programming for children and adults to to give kids this emotional vocabulary that he gave them where he would have songs and things about like being angry and how that's okay to be angry but you don't you know you take it out in the right way not the wrong way he, he did a million things that are like just do any amount of research and you'll get excited for this documentary because the dude's like the dude yeah i'm i'm really i i implore both of you guys as well as any listener listeners who are in the orlando area to buy tickets uh to won't you be my neighbor like i said it's playing at the enzian theater here in orlando for the florida film festival on april 11th um i implore all of you guys to buy tickets because i know that it's going to sell out the general reviews have been amazing for it already i believe that played at sundance this year i think that was the premiere of it nice yeah i definitely am excited for that one nice yeah so thanks adam for sending us that question you can all send us your own questions on twitter at we bought a mic and use the hashtag ask wabam um i'm excited for a little indie film um called uh, infinity war yeah solo it's a, it's is my a, top uh... it's a small little you know independent project um, from Marvel Studios. Oh, I love Marvel. Yeah, yeah. always yeah. producing. Always producing. Okay, to pretty good stuff. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so let's get They're to no the A24. news. Twenty <laughs> four. Let's get to the news. Um, so first up, we have this is awesome. Dan Schneider. Yeah. Parts ways with Nickelodeon. Yeah. So is Dan- is this another Me Too moment? Well, thing? it kind it could become one. We don't know yet. It's all speculation. Dan Schneider, for anyone who doesn't know, is like the godfather of every Nickelodeon modern sitcom. Yeah, Drake and Josh, iCarly. iCarly, everything past that, like Zoe 101. Uh, he had his hand in producing movies like Big Fat Liar and stuff like that. He's He's been... Him and Steven Hillenburg uh, and the guy who makes Fairly Odd Parents have been like the cash cows for Nickelodeon in the past like two decades. And he is he's left Nickelodeon... And I'm just saying there are allegations that he's fucking creepy. Uh, I mean, I've, I'm sure it's one of those things that's been known in yeah, s- close if, circles. Like, if you just look, I went down this weird wormhole looking it up because I've always thought that he was the weirdest dude with all these kid shows. And if you look him up, you're not supposed to judge people based on this, but he just looks... <laughs> he looks oh, I mean, yeah, he, he absolutely like does. And he... 
apparently he has an alleged foot fetish, kind of like Dan Harmon does, except, and Dan Harmon works that into his shows, but his shows are for adults. Yeah. Dan Schneider's kind of working a lot of feet into, like, iCarly and showing it to teens. Even, like, Drake and Josh and shit had, like, some stuff about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it had, like, and some just, foot things. And if you do more research, like, a, a lot of a lot of the child actors who have worked with him has, have said vague things, like, yeah, he was a little uh, feely. And then there's this, this is completely unverifiable but there's a comment on reddit before there were any allegations at all it was just a casual comment that i found under a dan schneider thread and this person is just like yeah i was an extra on the amanda show one time and he paid me a 100 bucks to tickle my feet and uh yeah so everyone is like everyone's like what and and, (laughs) wait who are you person's like yeah he he just like he was like are you ticklish and i was like no and he was like i bet you 100 bucks i could tickle you (laughs) haha And and like the kid was like, okay, hundred bucks, and then they just went, and he like tickled the feet. So he the, the stories that he he quit, right? Yeah, the stories that he's leaving, he's leaving Nickelodeon, right? But is what it is. there is there are more than there's more than just like a little buzz about like his behavior is what I'm saying. Like it's not just like I'm just like throwing shit on a wall. Like there's there's some uh, speculation, nothing firm. I'm not gonna say definitely this dude's a pedophile. Doesn't matter if I do. I'm not important. Um, but all signs point to likely. Well, maybe. I don't know. Also, if you just want to laugh, just look up Dan Schneider. He looks like he's simultaneously in a fat suit and a wig. And he's in neither, as far as I can tell. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting. A, it's kind of the end of an era for Nickelodeon. If you don't know Steven Hillenburg, the guy who made SpongeBob, has ALS now. Oh, Which is tragic. Geez, damn. Um, and then Butch Hartman, who made Fairly Odd Parents and Danny Phantom and a bunch of other shit, uh, just left Nickelodeon weren't as well. They, weren't they trying to kind of reboot all this in a Avengers-style crossover film? Mm. I heard talk about that. The Jimmy Timmy Power Hour? No, I, I heard that they were trying to make like a big, like all of the Nicktoons together in a, they in a were, big yeah, team-up were, film. They were working on some shit like that. And they were. I know I, they're trying to bring back. I know. Uh, I think Hey Arnold's coming back. Yes. Yeah. And There's that is we're having a live action Hey Arnold. That movie, is cool. Which I don't know about that. Oh boy. How, uh, they better do prosthetics like they did in that, like Eric Stoltz in that movie where he has just the be crazy like, why head. does Ty Sheridan just have this like globs of makeup on both sides of his face? <laughs> yeah, he looks like Stewie <laughs> for Family Guy. Um, hey Arnold was honestly a, a great show. It 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 was very realistic. Like it taught a lot about like being in poverty and being lower class in the yeah. urban setting. Yeah. Well, I mean, R.I.P. Dan Schneider. We yeah. hardly knew him. But speaking of uh, <laughs> Drake and Josh, was honestly as far as kids entertainment goes, that was probably oh, the peak. fucking classic. That was oh, probably yeah. the best kids sitcom there ever was. Uh, but speaking of parting ways. Donald Glover has mm. left the Deadpool animated show, which I don't think we ever which, talked about on the show. No, we, no didn't. we didn't. But I mean, it's less so Donald Glover leaving and then FX canceled the. Well, animated okay, Deadpool. so this is this is really interesting. Um, yeah, it is the Twitter thing. Yeah, mm. if you look down, uh, if you scroll down to our show notes, you can see a link of uh, the ringer.com they did a write-up of all of these script pages that donald glover posted on twitter because he has now deleted all of them but he basically announced he deleted them yeah yeah, wow, he deleted. Damn, yeah. i saw it when he posted them yeah so he took it all down but i mean obviously all these news yes, outlets he still works for fx so like he yeah. kind of has to stay on good terms with <laughs> but him. basically he posted this 
15, 16 page screenplay. Yeah, the caption was, uh, by the way, I wasn't too busy to work on Deadpool. And it turns out he wrote a full script for the finale episode of the season of the Deadpool. Oh, it, but series? it's fake. It's that, fake? Yeah. So, so this is, I really recommend everyone reads this mm-hmm. ringer write up because it, it dives into every little kind of. Uh, nuance sort of jab that Donald Glover puts in the screenplay because what the screenplay does is it tells the story of his involvement with the development of the show and how it all went kind of how it all kind of fell apart so he he tells a story of Deadpool like going on an adventure in the African savannah and like going on this mercenary job because he's you know the merc with a mouth and whatnot mm. um but it's all a metaphor about Donald Glover developing this show with FX and it all kind of being pushed around by executives and kind of being manhandled and, and just his vision being compromised and the, the people being involved with it um, under kind of underpaying him. I think what the, what the script is trying to say is that when they first started developing the show, Donald Glover was, just a fraction of the size of celebrity that he became yeah. by the time they were actually going to go into production of the show. So, um, and for other things too. Now he is a specifically he's a television legend at this point. Practically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so now this, he has a lot more clout. It, it, the 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 ringer piece is a little bit on the nose, but it kind of has to be because it kind of breaks down every tiny little little thing in the scrim the screenplay mm. just to give you an a, an idea of what he's trying to say. Because if you kind of just read the screenplay without looking for the metaphors and the all of you know the the allegory of the story then you're just kind of reading a story about deadpool mm. taking care of a rhino and yeah exactly and there's also some funny jokes in there too oh there's, there's oh, yeah. tons of references and you can tell that it was written like a couple of days before he posted it with some of these references no yeah and it it uh, to your point i highly recommend that everybody checks out this uh annotation job by the ringer because it's really like it it perfectly represents everything like there's everything from uh, FX just kind of not taking him seriously and kind of his vision, and especially with Atlanta, because Atlanta, like, wasn't considered a success by FX until the Emmys, until it started winning awards for the show. It because didn't have it the wasn't, ratings. No, it didn't have ratings. Like, people weren't watching the like show. It, it still doesn't. No, it actually does. It's it doing, does? It's doing very well. Okay. Start, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like the Emmys were a big push for it just because it had this critical push yeah. that people, like, in of and of also big power you know, are watching the show and people loving are it. people are going to the movies and seeing Glover's face on movie posters yeah. now so it's it's a different time yeah. he's a different kind he of star he now has his own black series star wars action figure so you can own your own oh, don't call it that donald glover <laughs> star wars black series <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this, guys? This is kind of an interesting story. If if you it, go in and and I'm I mean I was really it. I was really bummed whenever I heard it was canceled, especially because um, there's also some news of uh, one of I don't think that it ended up being the guy who FX was talking about using for the animation, but some of the shots for uh, what the Deadpool the Deadpool animated series was going to look like kind of surfaced on Reddit and. Uh, social media engines like that and it looks really fucking cool it looks dark which I can understand why FX turned against that I feel like it would have worked better on a show on a um, 
excuse me, on a network like HBO where they can have something like Animals, which is a I very dark animated yeah. series. Mm-hmm. But I understand why FX turned against that. But at the same time, I just it's always going to be a thing of like what could have been yeah. like if we would have had that. We're we're not going to dive into this week's uh, Atlanta on today's episode, but. Um, I, I didn't just, see it, okay? I didn't fucking see it. <laughs> I just thought of how um, there was one episode this season, I think it was the strip club one, where there was a ton of F-bombs in there. Was that the one? I'm pretty sure, uh, maybe it was last week with uh, with the Van and Helen episode. But mm. No, it was. It was when they're arguing to each other, they're dropping F-bombs left and right. It was mm. definitely that one. Like, FX is, is really... Is this the only show that they're letting them do this on? No, they've they've actually had a history with doing that on Always Sunny. They Always Sunny, me. yeah, I was about um, to just say. And that. then actually, I've noticed when they do air like syndication of movies, they don't do like the fake uh, lines. They just kind of bleep it, which is actually a step it's so much better. It's than... a step in a better direction. Yeah. yeah, that instead of doing like that's what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps instead of like fuck a stranger in the ass. <laughs> that's that's like the whole like. When, I mean, we talked about like on an earlier episode of the podcast, but how they were like rewriting some uh, some movies and stuff to make them TV appropriate. Yeah, yeah exactly. whenever all of that uh, yeah. drama was happening. But I mean, th- definitely, Sony. it's showing that Atlanta has more free reign than most shows on the yeah. network. That's for sure. All right. Well, let's get to what we've been watching. Um, actually, what we've been listening to, because this is a pop culture podcast. There's new music. Music every is single- pop culture. Yeah, you there's, know what, guys, get over it. There, there's new songs every single week, new albums every week. But we, you know, we we tend to lean on the movie side a little bit. But there's a couple things that we want to get into just real quick. Um, first, there's a new Jack White album out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Boarding House Reach. Um, how do you guys feel about Jack White? Did you get into his other two solo albums at all? Um, his solo stuff, I, I, I have to pick and choose in the albums. I cannot listen all the way through either of his solo albums. So there's Blunderbuss and Lazaretto, I'm pretty sure. Yep, Lazaretto. Yeah, and yeah. there are like, huge standouts from each because uh, like in high school, I was a big White Stripes fan, and they're... At the very least, they're the ancestor of a lot of bands that I really enjoy that I can listen to all the way through. So I appreciate Jack White a lot. We saw him live Bonnaroo 2014. Great show. Post White Stripes. So it was solo and he had an entire band of incredibly skilled musicians. It was one of the better shows I've ever seen in my life. Um, but his solo stuff, a lot of the time, I am just kind of like... There should be more. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I I agree. I think with his with Blunderbuss and Lazaretto, it was like half the songs on those albums were like he was really trying to push his creativity a little bit, and then half the songs were just like him kind of playing it safe and just doing what he knows how to do. I I I guess I have a little bit of a hot take. Uh, oh, I, I know you're super into him. No, I think that uh, Jack White's solo stuff is. Like, both of his albums are better than any White Stripes album, front to back. Really? As far as, I really like... Dude, there's some as, there's some great fucking stuff in the White Stripes No, catalog. I do, I do. I really enjoy the White Stripes, but as far as a front to back album goes, yeah, I just... The I White Stripes have always... Like super into Blunderbuss, I remember this. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, more so, than, I actually think Lazaretto is the best album that Jack White has ever made, personally. Um... With the White Stripes, 
it's always been a thing for me, but like just the drumming in the White Stripes album is so fucking bad. Like it's, I just Meg White literally just drums along to exactly what Jack White is doing on the guitar. And it's so boring to yeah. listen to a lot of times. That's why, like, I mean, I really love like a lot of White Stripe songs. I like a lot of White Stripe songs more so than certain songs that Jack White has ever done in his career. Uh, specifically things like... Um, there like are Icky songs, thump and stuff like that, but yeah, there are songs like that where it kind of works, where they're in a, a similar groove, and the the instrumentation kind of flows together, and the the fact that Meg is following exactly to the every little moment of, that that Jack is doing it, it works. Like I love Ball and Biscuit. Yeah, no, I was I was about to say Ball and Biscuit. I think might be my favorite song that yeah. Jack White has ever done. But um, front to back albums, I just think that Jack White as a solo artist is just better just because the instrumentation around him, despite becoming a solo artist, is better than he ever was yeah. when he was and considered he has, a band. He has studio artists come in, studio musicians come in and, and do a lot of work. With and his, I mean, I his really drummer think when we saw him live was like out of this He was wild. Yeah, I mean, specifically, my favorite song that he's done in his solo career is Highball Stepper. Um, that song, it's, there's no, awesome there's song. no vocals on that song. Is that on Blunderbuss? That's on Lazaretto. Okay. Um, but that song just goes so fucking hard. Like I just, every yeah. time I listen to it in my car, I fucking crank it up as loud as I can. Just go like, just jamming I the mean, fuck out. Blunderbuss still has a lot of good stuff. Oh on yeah. It. You I, got Freedom I really 21. Yeah. Uh, I'm 16 shaken. saltines blunderbuss the song itself i'm shaken yeah like i you guess said, i like, should go to sleep i really love that album too but i just think front to back album wise at least with his first two albums i really appreciate his solo work more so what, than the stuff they did what about raconteurs Anyone Ooh, into Raconteurs? Steady as she goes, steady yeah. as she goes. Raconteurs is some good fucking they, shit. They really do. Um, the actual, the album, I'm blanking on the name of the album uh, itself, but the album that uh, Steady As She Goes comes off of, I think that's a really solid album. Um, shouts to, also uh, tangentially, shouts out to uh, Dan Auerbach. You'll never be Jack White, Dan. <laughs> You'll never fucking be Jack White. <laughs> I mean, he, he has some good stuff too. It's It's not like he's bad. You know. I know he's just so clearly trying to be okay. Jack White, and he never. Will. I pulled it up. Uh, Broken Boy Soldiers is the name of the album that Stay Yes She Goes goes off yeah. of. That has some really, and, really good songs. And off Consolers of, it. of the Lonely, both Raconteurs albums mm-hmm. are legendary. I mean, I, I I think we can all say that Jack White is one of the main guys that is trying to keep rock alive. I'd say that even if you don't directly like love his work you can appreciate what he's yeah. doing and like as one of the greatest guitarists that's currently um, alive and working a while ago i was i mentioned that book i was reading about the rebirth of like indie in in new york um and they drew a parallel Meet me in the bathroom yeah they drew a parallel because in the 70s a similar thing happened where in new york the ramones were reviving this genre and then in detroit you had um iggy pop Maybe the other way. No, yeah, Iggy Pop was in Detroit doing doing the same thing. The same thing happened in the late '90s, early 2000s. In in Detroit, you had the White Stripes reviving this dead genre back when like Creed was like the hottest thing in the world, (laughs) and then you had the Strokes in New York doing a similar thing. So they they played such a pivotal role in the revival of like it can't the Family Tree. A lot of like you might be surprised how many bands trace back to the white. Well, let, let's talk about Boarding House Breach because I haven't listened to it. Uh, <laughs> have you guys listened to the singles though? I've listened to the singles. Um, no, 
I am connected by I love. I really love Corporation, the Corporation. first single that came out. Um, it's kind of another. It's basically uh, like there's no vocals in the song. The only thing that is sung in the song is "Who's with me." Yeah. But other than that, like it's pretty much just all instrumentals. Um, also, respect Commander. Connected by Love, I really like. Yeah, yeah Respect Commander is really good. Um, I've just, I've listened over through. Over and over. I've listened through um, about, a, like, pretty much all of it, uh, but I've only given it one listen through, and I don't really like to evaluate music yeah. off of one listen just because it's, I mean, we've talked about it before, but with music, it's really one of those things that you have to listen to it multiple times, and it's just about, like, a riff or something just getting stuck in your head. Well, see, here's the thing about about this new album is I really disliked it my first listen. I was not about it. I thought it was too weird and that he was trying too hard to be experimental and just kind of out there. But then I kept listening to it and I found more to kind of grab onto with each listen. And now I'm getting really into it. Like I'm really digging this album and I each time I listen to it, I find more in the lyrics and the instrumentation in in the energy that he puts into these songs like he is really trying to do weird shit with this album. Oh, yeah, which, definitely. I could tell that which like Jack White should have been doing for a while. Like, I mean, I love um Lazaretto and Blunderbuss. Like those two albums are great, but those two albums should have had a lot more experimentation in them because Jack White has always been the type of artist to kind of push the envelope. He's always been a guy who wants to keep rock alive, not just in the music, but in the business side of it. And and in every way that he can get his hands on like keeping the music fresh and alive. Yeah, he's kinda like he's on he's kinda like Soderberg, where he's always doing some weird shit yeah. like on the business end of things. Where yeah, he's like, Oh, the- I'm gonna fund my own record label and like do weird vinyl pressing. <laughs> exactly, but the music had never really reflected that mm. until this new album. Like there's some weird shit going on in this new album. I mean we have stuff that he's never done, especially uh I guess like whenever I was listening through the whole album the first time I didn't really notice it but then on my way coming over here it was the song uh, Abulia and Acrisha but it's basically just like a short little like skit kind of Mm -hmm. just like really short like a poetry sort of thing a minute kind of long just like little thing that almost just sounds like it was a sample that he took but that's something that Jack White's never done I almost wonder if it was kind of a thing where he wanted to make an album or two to kind of separate himself and show like, hey, look, like I've grown as a musician. I want to show you that I'm better than I ever was with the White Stripes. And so he wanted to establish himself as that. And it took kind of that third album for him to take the chances and be like, hey, like I've kind of stopped. I've reestablished myself with you as like I've kind of I've gone out. I'm doing my own thing. I have better musicians behind me. And now I'm going to take that step. Yeah. And, you know, you have songs like Corporation or Connected by Love, Respect Commander, like some of these singles where he riffs on the guitar. And then you have more sort of slower ballads like What's Done is Done um, that kind of bring that more like Americana sort of slower side of him out. And he shines in all of that. And, um, you know, it, it, there, there's this one song, um, Hyper Misophoniac, which gets super weird with these like surging synths that kind of it, it's this weird like 
that just kind of drives the sound the sound of the of the song and it's it's just something that I've never heard in a Jack White I, I, song. I need to. I feel like that's a song that kind of needs to grow on me because the first time I heard that I was like, "What the fuck <laughs> am I listening to?" Like, because it's almost it's not really rhythmic in the way that it's like you the way that you hear this kind of synth and woo woo like you described. Like, it's not really like it, it, it doesn't sound just yeah. like anything that you hear in a normal rock record. I I still recommend it though. I I think. You know, even though it takes a couple listens to get into, I I love Jack White, and I think he's one of the most talented guys working right now. Yeah. What do you guys think of uh, the new Tyler the Creator and the new The Weekend? Mm. Any thoughts on that? So yeah, Tyler okay. Tyler put out this new single, Okra, with a video, which is it was a surprise single. Yeah, it was kind of out of nowhere, and both single and video were very very good. The single is like it's it's kind of like a, almost a throwback to like banger Tyler, where he's just the beat is so incredibly bass heavy that I really I want I haven't played it in my car yet, but I'm excited to because it just oh like, it it beats in a car yeah. like I, I it doinks in the whip of <laughs> it doinks it freaking doinks <laughs> I really think that like this this kind of feels like the perfect evolution with Tyler where it feels like with Flower Boy he got more articulate with his verses um and he's kind of combining that with his old way of like you said very bass heavy very like meant to listen to very loudly and just kind of listen to exactly what he's singing you're right because lyrically it's still it's still pretty like articulate and there's like a lot of words and that was the thing that always bugged me about old tyler and one thing i was worried about post flower boy was i was like kind of like all right maybe this is just a little peak in his career and then he's kind of gonna revert back to his old ways of yeah. where i really was not a tyler the creator fan and, and he may do the the frank thing and hold off on the next album and just drop like these kind of single mm-hmm. like these one-off yeah. sort of um little which i mean if that's what it takes for him to kind of find his footing and like get a full great album together like he had with flower boy then like i'm I'm cool with that i'm fine yeah. with that uh the weekend dropped uh just called? real quick uh shout out uh from the song okra uh the verse tell tim chalamet to come get at me mm, all about that <laughs> like i just so he I, wants to be the peach yeah i didn't know he was yeah he Africa. he's trying to fuck tim chalamet which i mean hey go for it tyler like, he should name you. he should name his new album apricot mm. <laughs> <Yo>. <laughs> everyone will know it's up mm. <laughs> all right so the, the weekend dropped an ep called um it's it called an M- album melancholy or an ep like I, i'm not really sure like it's um, he's calling I was, it an album and it's, okay. it's six songs long. it's six songs it's only uh 21 minutes but i think that's great like it's uh it's i definitely, was i was listening to this different from starboy pretty from, uh, pretty different well it's different but it's kind of i mean the first thought that i had whenever i listened to it was like it kind of feels a little bit like he's mixing this uh this like kind of experience that he's had making music with kind of his old sound with stuff like trilogy and Kissland. Yeah. It um, sounded more like, like trilogy so for sure. I, I should say, um, I listened to like kind of the weekend singles, like what were the big hits, but it was until I met Gaia that she kind of like showed me the ways of the weekend. And since then I kind of <laughs> fell in love with him and like how so you're going to leave amazing... her for the weekend. Yeah, I mean, for Abel, 
Yeah. I mean, Gaia would die for the weekend. Like, that's absolutely true. But, like, listening to this album, it really did, like, just kind of remind me of stuff off of Trilogy. Specifically, like, the song Wasted Times. I really think that song is just going to be a fucking banger. Like, I really, really love that song. And Call Out My Name. Ooh, um, yeah, that's my favorite. Call Out bunch. My Name, the uh, the leadoff song on the album. I think that song is really, really great. There's just... there's. There's quite a few just really good songs. I mean, it's only six songs, this uh, album, but every song on here I think is really good. Even songs like Try Me, um, Privilege, the last song on the album, I thought was really good. This is a, this is an album that, like I said, it's only six It's only six songs. It's I really listen. wish that there was more to it. I EP. wish that it was longer. He's claiming it's an album. I just I want there to be a little bit more as far as it doesn't qualify goes. as an album if it's only twenty one minutes. But it's it's great. Like yeah, this just I mean good. it just it kind of gets me excited. I want him to have this experience of songwriting to go along with what he has as far as uh, just his older sound of just classic R&B. Selena did him dirty, man. It's not cool. Yeah. I, I just, this song, this, this whole album just makes me want to like, I, I, guy showed me a thing on Twitter where it was just like, this album makes me want to fucking do a line and call my ex, which is kind of what this album just is. But, perfect but sobbing. Doing. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's the whole thing uh, with, I mean, of course, he had the big breakup with Selena Gomez, which was a huge deal. He was with deal. Selena Gomez? Yeah, man. Yeah. And then Selena left him to go back to Justin Bieber. Well, she got, she got a kidney. downgrade. She got a kidney transplant. Um, Maybe it was the, the new kidney. The new made kidney. Made her realize. Yeah. Um, she got the kidney from a believer. Oh, and then God. That, but, I mean, and then... I. I to the the song uh, "Wasted Times," which I think is really kind of the biggest banger on the album, the the lyric "You were equestrian, so write it like a champion." He's uh, talking about his penis. There, there's a lot he's, of that. He's talking about his penis. I, I just don't get it. Which is, <laughs> uh, it's, too, it's, it's referencing. Too smart. It's referencing another one of his exes. I think Bella uh, Hadid, who was an equestrian. I think it's a okay, good, so it's a good, here. it's a good album or EP, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it, it's really good. I, it's twenty one minutes, like it's very, very yeah. easy listen. All right, let's get to what we've been watching. So, I want to get through these real quick so we can get to our review. Real quick, I just want to say I've been doing a little bit of an MCU rewatch. I watched Avengers and then Avengers: Age of Ultron and Doctor Strange. Um, so gearing up for Infinity War and, you know, we talk enough about Marvel on this pod, so we don't have to get too into it, but I just wanted to say Age of Ultron is not that bad. Okay. It's it's not that bad. I don't think it's It's bad. I think it's it's fine. It's a good movie. It's, it's so fucking bloated and overlong, but there's so much to love in there that I can't call it trash or garbage or bad. But there's also so much just excess fat on it it's like it's like if you've ever gotten just like let's say you go to a place and you order a steak and you get it and you're like this is good but then you realize that like a quarter of the steak is just fat and that they didn't like trim any of it off and give you any of just the straight meat that's the problem I, i agree with that but then you get to the to the center of the steak 
and it's Renner talking about remodeling <laughs> his farmhouse. That's and it's that's the, what you consider, and the it's the, the greatest snake. thing that has ever happened that's in the, the MCU. Primary right there, you know, you see Renner hug his kids. You see him hug his fucking kids. Jeremy Renner is Wagyu beef. I'll say it. <laughs> I said it, dude. Like, because if you eat eight ounces, we, of Jeremy we Renner, should you say take this weird shit. If, next if day. It we should say this, Renner, we're in the shadow of Jeremy Renner's playmation character. Mm. If if it wasn't for Renner, the Avengers would have been absolutely fucked. Ultron would have decimated them. They would have been. They would have been shit. Like. If it, it because of Renner, they had a place to go hide out, hash out their little subplots and and little differences, and then come back together and realize what their plan needed for to like be. fifteen minutes. They hashed yeah. that out for like fifteen minutes, and that's it. I mean, I'm no, I'm I would never call that movie bad or trash, but I would also hmm. not call it good. I think that it's of. It's a seven out of ten, just plain and simple, and that's all that that's it is. Good. I think it's overall it's good. Yeah. It's it's fine. It's not as good as the first Avengers, but it's also like I think that it's upper echelon, but not like upper quarter as far as Marvel. Also, movies go. you you get to see the Avengers just like being the Avengers. You don't have to set them up. You don't have to like bring everyone together and like Which is assemble my least, the team. My least favorite part of the first Avengers. Yeah, it's maybe, like so. boom, right from the first scene, like they're already a team. They're ready to go. And this movie like kind of has some really interesting themes about like these characters being monsters because that's what Ultron mm-hmm. is trying to paint them as. He wants to show the world that the Avengers are just monsters and that they deserve to be vanquished and it's it brings up some interesting points it's a lot to think about i mean it doesn't nail everything perfectly like it's it's very murky and messy but when you have renner going out there and putting himself in in the line of fire to save some some kid even though he's already safe and he's wounded he needs to be treated he still goes out there to try to save that kid it's like that's what heroism is that's why he's the best avenger there's two things that i love about this movie and then one thing that i really hated about this movie um one of those things is i think that this movie has a better long take like long third act action take than the first avengers does as far as them well the long take is in the beginning in this one well, there's also the one towards the end after they have Vision with them where they're fighting all of the Ultron bots. Yeah, but that's not really – like the camera doesn't soar as much in that one. It yeah, Okay. Oh, I'll just say like it has a better, I think, third like third part set piece than the first Avengers did. When fair? they're just punching robots? Yes, but I thought that it looked better yeah. in this movie. Um, you can argue against the actual direction itself, but I just I enjoyed it. Just again, I haven't seen this movie in probably about a year. I or two I ago, recommend year, rewatching year and a half it. Ago. I had a great time. Another thing I really liked about this movie is I feel like I retroactively like it more because of Civil War. Because in Civil War, that established that this movie had genuine consequences with the whole like Sokovia Accords and everything that happened in this movie. It felt like it had a little bit more weight where yeah. like in the first Avengers movie it's like wow they're destroying an entire city guess it's fine <laughs> like it's oh well oh well true. New York is fine now so what, um, what about Doctor Strange one thing, it's, okay, it's okay, one not thing, that bad one okay. thing I really <laughs> dislike about Age of Ultron is the way that it treats Spader 
Spader is an amazing actor. Yeah, he doesn't get... Yeah. He does not get shit in this movie. He's just made to be generic, bad AI, like AI gone bad. Like, that's just his whole bit, and I hate that. Like, I hate... Spader got mistreated in The Office, mm-hmm. um, and he got mistreated in Age of Ultron. Yeah, Robert California sucked. Yeah. He does. He I, does. I did want to say, though, Doctor Strange is not that bad. Like the visuals and like the weird, bizarre, like mystic shit that happens in that movie, you don't see anywhere else. Like Doctor Strange going into like astral projection mode and having a fight with another god who's astral projecting and just like punching each other in another realm of reality. You don't where other what's another movie that you see that in? It's crazy. It's Tell so what weird. In Inception. <laughs> they don't astral project in Inception. They dream project. Sure. I that's another movie. Like I'm just I'm not I would never call it bad and I don't really think anyone's calling either of these movies bad, but like I don't want to watch them again. I think Doctor Strange is pretty low as far as Marvel no, yeah, movies but go. Like I'd say- it's it's not a technically a bad movie like if you're just gonna look at it from a film school perspective it's a what would you would call a quote-unquote good movie but i wouldn't i don't have any desire to ever rewatch it. i'd say it's worth rewatching just for the open your eye sequence where uh tilda swinton touches his forehead and then he trips out for i'll just watch batman begins if i want to watch a good superman superhero origin dude but it's trippy that sequence was kind of the only sequence in the whole movie that i was like that looks really cool all the rest of the visuals kind of i was like that kind of sucks like I, I, it's just the whole all of the folding matter stuff <laughs> I, I was just the hook of the movie was supposed to be the visuals and it didn't have that and then it also didn't have a very good story and that's really what i was missing it did it was not compelling to me yeah no it's to, really not because i yeah, mean the, the story is not the most yeah, original thing and if we're gonna do hero's journey 101 like joseph campbell shit they completely skipped the road of trials and that's a big reason that it didn't work for me same as the movie we're gonna review later ready player one it skips this whole phase that makes us give a shit about the character and there's consequences for that yeah all right well let's let's uh let's get through the rest of this so we can get to our review so i um took drew's uh recommendation from last week last week i talked about wild wild country which is the duplass brothers produced uh documentary series about a weird uh indian guru sex cult in america so yeah Yeah. and i haven't watched any other episodes since then but ernie's has you you watched only ep one right yeah 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 so i kind of just decided to watch that first episode and it hooked me so much that i've now watched four episodes so i only have two left yeah because it's only a six episode i mean yeah i i told you guys it's fucking crazy i'm I'm not gonna talk too much about this um because it's one of those shows that you should just you should just watch without knowing anything Mm -hmm. so i'm not gonna get into specifics so i just i just really fucking recommend this like this is if you have a Netflix subscription, if you pay monthly for Netflix, and this is by the what way, you pay for. By the way, you do. <laughs> like statistically, a hundred percent you do. Yeah, this is this is what you pay for. Like this is just well crafted, well told yeah. storytelling and like it, it, everything from the the interviews like the way they get these stories it out is, of the out of the subjects and then the the editing mm-hmm. there's a sequence you haven't seen episode two but there is a sequence in the second episode where they tell the story of the whole camp in oregon being 
developed and built. Yeah, yeah. Like how they they go into this. They buy a, a ranch. It's just basically a, a little farm. Mm. And they start like developing the shit out of it. And yeah, like yeah, yeah. bulldozing it and just putting pipes and infrastructure and houses. And just the, the editing of that sequence just feels so it has, energetic. No, it has some great editing. Does it stick? As far as interviews go, with the the secretary of the guru and then the two members of the cult, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, but it brings in more okay, people as well. Those three, particularly the guy who was in the cult, he is giving like an Oscar performance, and he's not <laughs> he's not an actor, and he's not acting. He's just telling he's just his life guy, story, and it's like I, you you want to cry when he talks because he's so genuine. Um, and how about I mean, like I said. I was just thinking about the credit sequence in the first step, which I mentioned. It doesn't happen again. I know, but just thinking about it, I like I'm getting goosebumps because it's so effective. Yeah, no, there's. It there's... reminds me of the leftovers, where these these moments where the music juxtaposed with the shots are so like they're so opposite, and yet it works so well. They're Everybody just... is a wondering how yeah. and where they yeah. all came from. That when you see Justin Theroux's <laughs> dick and folk music is playing, yeah, and then it just flops down. You hear that thump. <laughs> No, but yeah, I I really recommend this show. Like, come on, it's it's so good. It's so good. It's, it really is. Everything about it is amazing. Yeah, uh, it it's it just sucks you in. It, it envelops you, and it's one of those stories that you kind of wonder if it's even true or not. Like, I, I feel like when we're old, we're gonna see a a movie like a fiction kind of narrative film yeah. done about this, and people are gonna think that it was that's actually fiction <laughs> it's it, yeah it's it's one of those stories like I, I was talking about last week true crime is something that's just now getting tapped into and in terms of fictional representations and non-fictional um shouts out to ray and brett because i talked about last week how i want to see a series about jonestown they both separately without knowing they both linked me to last podcast on the left which i talked about briefly because it's a true crime project podcast and they recently did some coverage of the jonestown murders yeah listen to those they did like three separate episodes about it listen to those episodes and tell me you don't want to see like three seasons about the jonestown murders like mm -hmm. it's it's such a story yeah. um anyway though let's yeah let's get into season f five is this a season five premiere of silicon valley yes yeah well i I'll, I'll just say with wild wild country it's on netflix and i have two episodes left so I hope it ends well. I don't. It, it's gearing up for a huge, huge climax. Just, just based on like, just basic storytelling technique. It, it's just building and building and building. Yeah. And I can tell that it's like, good shit. Like five and six are just going to be a giant climax. So I hope it delivers. Yeah. But yeah, Silicon Valley premiered its fifth um, season yeah, on so, HBO. So this is a show we haven't talked about because it's been off season. Uh, but this show, the first few years of its existence, it was a huge deal. It was um, great. It yeah, was really good. It's, it's a yeah. Mike Judge show who's the creator of Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill. Um, and he has a very specific brand of comedy that this show is kind of not in. And it also is kind of a part of that. Um, it's very absurdist at times. Yeah, it's, it is very absurd. It's And it kind of, you know, it did a really, really, like, exceptionally good job with casting of this show, where they kind of discovered Thomas Middleditch. They scooped him up because he was going to be a part, the year before this show premiered, he was a part of a show that was going to be an Office spinoff 
um, called The Farm, and it was about mm-hmm. Dwight Schrute's Yeah, I forgot farm he was on that. Yeah. Um, and there's an episode of The Office that he's featured in because that w- was supposed to be an episode where you're introduced to this whole new show. Uh, that didn't get picked well, up. Well, that was supposed to be the pilot of the show and yeah. they just made since it got canceled they just made it an episode of the office yeah, and so yeah so it didn't get picked up and so i mean good for tommy middle d because he's a very talented improviser and actor he is the lead of this uh you have zach woods who in my opinion is one of the most underrated funny people working today also in an office alum he played gabe uh this kind of launched kumail nanjiani's uh recognition as an actor he had been mm-hmm. a stand-up but now after this show he was like he was pretty uh, convincingly an actor, and obviously now he's even getting into drama and all that after the big sick. Um, you have TJ Miller playing Ehrlich Bachman, who was kind of, while he was still on the show, he was kind of an iconic character as this like kind of enigmatic, like weird. He wanted to be a Steve Jobs type in Silicon Valley, but he was really more of just an afterthought. Um, he left the show before season five premiered um and then martin Starr, who's you know from freaks and geeks fame and like party down and all that playing who he always plays um himself basically yeah and so this show it had a lot of really good characters to base off and the first few seasons are really really solid they're Mm -hmm. they're kind of absurd but they're rooted within like a semi-realistic world of of uh thomas middleditch trying to lead this company uh called Pied Piper. It, yeah originally it was called Pied Piper and they were trying to launch this app that would like you know it was revolutionizing revolutionizing like download speeds and all that stuff really all the technological stuff is intentionally jargon in this show it's kind yeah. of a part of the joke that and it's it like, was it doesn't make any sense it was great like yeah. you had all these jokes based on the mumbo jumbo shit that they were saying that you, yeah you knew it was fake but it was commenting on something that was real yeah and it was really a funny show and it was also very important in the comedy landscape for a while where like i i had a screenwriting professor who said like two or three years ago if you were going to write a a spec script for a comedy show if you wanted to be a comedy writer it was silicon valley that was the show you were writing a spec for and like for you know like five years before or two years before that it was new girl and then before that it was the office and whatever it was Mm. like on that level of like this is the show if you can write an episode of this show and it's good you get a job it was that important and personally i after season three i was kind of getting stale on it i missed all of season four jumped right in on the season five premiere and it was literally like i didn't miss anything and that's okay, why so, i stopped watching so it i had a place. question um because i think i saw the first two seasons of this show i want to say honestly i don't remember because it's been a couple years but like is it worth my time to get through i would say watch till the end of three i think three is the high point of the show um there is some really really effective comedy in 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 the end of three there's there's a huge like comedic imagine if like comedy could have a set piece if you could build jokes on top of each other to build to this climactic payoff that is being set up by all these smaller jokes that amount to this giant giant joke it's kind of that's 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 season three essentially okay it's almost the seinfeld model but on a season-wide basis instead of an episode-wide where every episode of seinfeld everything would build up to a big joke a lot of the time this was like season-wide it would build up to a big joke but it's kind of an interesting show tonally because 
a lot of the comedy doesn't like it it doesn't work and i'm not saying that just from an individual perspective because it's not supposed to be realistic well and but also just if if you watch it in a room full of people a lot of the times jokes that are written as jokes not realistic moments no one's laughing at but it's consistently funny enough that you forgive those moments and in that way it's similar to king of the hill and beavis and butthead which are mike judge's other projects they all have this thing of like it's not really batting a thousand like some other shows are, but the highs are very high and the lows are kind of lower of the show. I mean, I I might stick around for the rest of season five, but if if there's no big kind of advancement for these characters, I'm not going to keep See, watching because they keep resetting all of the character dynamics back to square one. Exactly. Like we, we, I think we were spoiled with shows like Halt and Catch Fire where they reinvent themselves each season and they find new ways to position all these characters. Like, Think about the similarities between Halt and Silicon yeah, Valley. They are similar mm. shows because it's about people and technology trying to find their way into a boom that's happening in, in you know, their respective time periods. But in Silicon Valley... It genuinely, it's there's not a fresh take a lot of the time. It's just literally the same thing. That's, and it, and that's it the makes, vibe I got. And it makes things very safe for these performers, for these actors. Like they don't really yeah. have to try because each day they're coming in and just doing the same thing. They yeah. don't have to really think much. Yeah. So as the characters and their companies, they're kind of spinning their wheels. So the show itself is kind of spinning its wheels. It's kind of like, all right, well, the the season premiere was kind of like I've. I skipped a whole season and I've still seen all this shit before. Yeah. It was still pretty funny, but it's like, it's kind of an old trick. Um, and also, so TJ Miller left the show in season four. Uh, Hoping to be a big movie star. And, you know, he's in Ready Player One. But is he, 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 his voice. Well, the thing is, TJ Miller at this point is not even the biggest name in the show and he left that's that does not bode yeah. well for the rest i don't of think cast. anyone knew that kumail was gonna be oh the yeah guy like yeah. to sick, come out of this the big sick blew up kumail in ways that could not have been predicted but what i'm saying is if tj miller is leaving if ehrlich bachman is gone who was the most signature character on the show he's out yeah kumail, and with this with this premiere you feel his absence exactly you definitely feel it because they're replacing him with a very funny take. It's it's funny, but it's a Korean character who has very limited English. And because of that, he has very limited things he can kind of do within the context of writing a scene. Uh, but Thomas Middleditch has proven to be forward thinking. In interviews, he's he's pretty much openly said, like, I'm so glad I didn't do that Office reboot. Like, The Office was a show that had jumped shark two years before, and I was doing, like a spinoff of a show that was already bad. And to say that in an interview talking about the office is like sacrilege practically yeah. to a lot of people. Like he, he's always thinking ahead and he's the lead of the show. Kumail has a million better things to do at this point. Kumail's getting offers around the fucking block. Everyone loves him right now. Like I, I feel like the show should end soon. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, think I really I... think it should end because if they keep going like this and they do un- if they do a, a a 6 year a season 6 of this it's just going to be bad like it's not horrible right now it's still fine. but it's about to get there yeah but just, this i think this season season they should just end it because they they didn't find a way to keep it fresh i don't know what mike judge is doing 
Um, and also another, yet another person who now has better things to do, which this can be a transition for us, is Alec Berg, co-creator of the show Barry. Alec, oh, I didn't is, realize that. He is the co-showrunner of Silicon Valley, and he is creating a whole different TV show on the same network right well, now. Well, so is Judge kind of hands-off at this point? Ju- um, I don't know. I honestly don't know Judge's involvement. But Alec, yeah, he, he recently took over showrunner uh, status of this, and he immediately took on an entirely new TV show that shows more promise, in my opinion. Yeah, so, so Barry mm. is the new uh, kind of bill Hader uh vehicle he he's very involved in this he directed and wrote and starred in this pilot and i it think was, that he directed the first three or four episodes. Yeah, yeah i feel like he directed it this has been in production for a while yeah now. uh i i fucking love bill Hader. i'm a fuck i like i'm a i've always been a massive bill Hader fan i think that what he did on snl was kind of incredible he he has phil hartman status but and then some where he was capable of doing really, really good impressions that were not just good impressions, they were also funny, and then also original characters that had flair to them, which is really rare on SNL. He's probably top five all time on SNL, which is like that's putting him among the giants. Yeah, easily. So he, he If only because of how unexpected his talent oh, yeah. is. His his I mean, he got on SNL out of nowhere. I think I talked about that probably last week. But he he was not expecting to get into comedy, period, at all. Or acting, at all. He just kind of stumbled into it. He did SNL for eight years. And when he left, I was kind of worried. Um, I was, uh, well, did you ever see The Skeleton Twins? Yes, I did. With Wieg? Yeah, that's, it's a dramedy movie, kind of an indie movie, where him and Kristen Wiig play brother and sister who kind of meet up after their mom dies. Do, right? you, do you think that that film helped him get Barry? It did. He's, he said that in interviews. That, that's a great movie. Doing Yeah, because it showed that he has dramatic chops, which is what he wanted to prove in the first place, because he had originally gotten into movies and moved to Hollywood to direct he did not even want to act, and he didn't even want to do comedy. This so, was before SNL. Yeah, and and I mean, regardless, doing SNL for eight years will get you experience in all of those things, because if you write a sketch, you were playing a large part in directing yeah, it as well. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I recommend that uh, listeners kind of check out the, the Bill Simmons podcast. He recently did an interview with uh, Bill Hader at South by Southwest, where they kind of talk about this whole idea where whenever because the whole thing is you kind of he he describes the whole process of writing a sketch for snl where you sit in the writer's room and you kind of pitch an idea but if they pick up your idea you're basically acting as a director because you're telling the other actors exactly what they're doing in that sketch yeah you have you have a lot of creative freedom if you watch james franco's documentary about snl called Mm. saturday night which you can't find anywhere but you know sorry um (laughs) it's a good documentary if you can find it you'll see that the writers and particularly Clearly, Bill Hader have a lot of control. He is the only person in that whole documentary. He's the only cast member that's in the writer's room. But that's kind of one of the things where, like, I was excited for Barry in the same way that, like, I was excited for Get Out whenever uh, Jordan Peele had this idea. Because when you work for a th- company like SNL or you work on a show like Key and Peele, you're kind of watch, you're kind of making like hundreds of short movies, which 
gives you that experience that you have when you're making these short stories like this. It gives you the experience to direct a TV show or a movie, which is why I really had a lot of faith whenever yeah. Barry got announced. And, and plus, it's not he's not kind of an SNL wonder, which there have been people who just kind of only work on SNL and then it doesn't work out. And you could tell that because his career has just been like everybody loves him and wants him to just kind of be there. Like in every single movie he's in, like Super Bad back in the day, Hot Rod. He, everyone, the people who made those movies just kind of wanted him to be around, so they wrote him into the movie. Yeah, but mm. then you get something like Trainwreck, where he's yeah. the romantic yeah, and that, lead, and that proved he had it because that was his first like non zany role. Yeah, where he and well that and Skeleton Twins, which was I think a year before, but those were his first roles. I, where I, was like, I think okay. his performance in Skeleton Twins is a lot better than Trainwreck. Well, yeah, Trainwreck mm. is just broad, but it proved that he can. Trainwreck is kind of just generic Judd Apatow but, but comedy, kind of. It's just that movie proved that he is not just like a silly face, like because he's capable of doing crazy yeah. shit with his face. But and and I think uh, you know bringing it back to Barry, I think he is able to sort of play on the silly face thing and also do the serious thing at the same time. Yeah, and philosophically, the show is really interesting because the premise of the show is Bill Hader plays Barry, who is an assassin. He's an Iraq war vet turned assassin who it's not like glorifying crime, like something like the Sopranos. He is, it's like, it's an office job for him. He just fucking hates it. He doesn't enjoy it. And it's not his calling. And he just kind of stumbles into finding the idea that maybe acting is his calling. And so the show as the pilot sets up is him kind of wanting to get into acting while also having to juggle the fact that he is an assassin. Um, I really like this pilot, but I'm very um, kind of skeptical about this show because I don't know how it's going to carry forward the story. I, I, um, I do realize that the whole Chechen thing is being set up as like this kind of overarching antagonist antagonistic force uh for him to kind of deal with but it, is that going to be enough to drive the plot forward the whole season every single episode like what is this is a half hour comedy so what is an episode going to look like okay so um we're recording this late saturday night so an episode just came out or it's coming out tomorrow um, i think there was one tonight yeah. i think that it's coming out on every saturday night but um I think that this show is kind of more focusing. I know that he has, um, we're going to talk about just, I mean, of course we just saw the pilot, so it's not like we really know where this show is going or anything, but I think that the show is kind of more focusing on Bill Hader's character, Barry himself, and less so about the things that are happening around him. I feel like this whole thing where he was kind of a hitman in the past. That's the whole premise, as we should say. Like he was a hitman, but he's kind of looking for his uh, finding for like what he wants to be. And he goes to assassinate this guy, and he's following him, and he follows him into this acting class in L.A. And he stumbles into the classroom, and then they kind of pull him up on stage, and. Just him being up on stage, he finds this passion that, like, oh, maybe I should act. Like, maybe that's kind of my calling, the calling yeah, but that the, I've been looking for. The way it's but played is really kind of funny and interesting because he's so bad. He's so bad. So it's like, how can he think that this is his calling yeah, exactly if that's, he is so visibly awful? <laughs> and I think that's kind of going to be the whole where the show is going now it's just how he him, makes it just how it makes him feel yeah exactly is just him being him 
having this desire because they kind of set it up a little bit before this, but he's, I mean, he was a, an Iraq vet, Iraqi vet or something like that, but he was ex-military and a Marine, he, I think. Maybe yeah, he Marine. got this job as being a hitman as something for him to make a lot of money and kind of to do as a job because he couldn't really find a home after he came back home. And, uh, he, kind of stumbled into this whole job as a hitman but it was almost like you could see this moment which i mean we should applaud of course the dramatic acting by bill Hader, but this this kind of look on his face where like you could tell like he was genuinely really happy for what seemed like the first time in a long time whenever yeah, he, he got, got up there rush. on stage even if he was really horrible at acting in and the scene and there were but, there were the philosophical things i was talking about is it parallels to an extent, obviously, but his uh, tenure at SNL, because he had horrible anxiety when he was on Saturday Night Live, he did not particularly enjoy performing on the show, but it was everything. Like, it it created Bill Hader. Which is kind of, uh, uh, going back to the Bill Simmons uh, podcast that I was talking about, he kind of uh, talks about that because he says, Bill Hader says there's two types of people on SNL. There's people who are just like, Guys who just get up there and they're just like, oh, yeah, like all week they've just been like not sweating it. And then they go up there on stage and they're just like making jokes. Maybe they'll like put a finger up your ass or something while you're on stage. <laughs> like they're just like doing anything up there because they just like don't give a fuck. Like Kristen Wiig is kind of one of those examples of people who just classically they don't get nervous. They make it look they go easy. Up there. Yeah. They make it look so easy. But Bill Hader was talking about. Because he's one of those guys, you just like casually watch an episode, you watch a Stefan skit or something like that, and you're just like, well, this guy makes it look so easy. It's like he's not even like sweating up there. But he always talks about how like writing the sketch, leading right up into the sketch, even during the sketch itself, he's just like so nervous. Like just he's full, he's filled with all this anxiety, which he kind of brings out whenever he's doing the acting itself in Barry, which that's why it makes me excited about the show because I feel like the show is going to focus more on the character Barry himself and trying to find happiness through acting, whether he's good or bad at it that's yeah. kind of what it's all about yeah it, it take it's a new take on crime shows because like i said it treats crime like it's an office job and then it's also a new take on hollywood shows uh because it's more in the crime world like it's juggling these two things and in the process it's making it a more unique show than any particular crime show or any particular hollywood show i like there's a fair amount of like la kind of roasting on it um where they're making fun of uh people but the pilot overall i thought met my expectations was they were pretty high because i'm a big bill fan i didn't know how he would fare as a director i knew he'd be fine as a dramatic actor because i i've seen plenty of interviews with the guy i know he kind of gets it as far as movies go he's kind of a like a movie rain man but uh there were just there were only a couple moments that i could really nitpick in the pilot that didn't ring quite true um, but they kind of had to happen just to kind of move the narrative forward. For example, I mean, the biggest one is when he he goes in front of Henry Winkler and he's just like laying it on the line and he basically tells him he's an assassin and Henry's like, hey, what play is that from or whatever? That's that's not something that happens in the world, but that's something that had to happen to move forward this plot. That, yeah, that it was, was a standout moment from the episode, in my opinion. I, I, really I enjoyed that. that moment too. Um, I thought the direction was good it wasn't anything like spectacular or anything like that but it was also kind of i mean this is kind of the first thing that he's ever truly directed so 
I it, it felt like he played it a little bit safe, but at the same time, it wasn't bad. So it's not something that I can yeah. really complain about. And and like uh, Ernie said, there was there's a narrative that is started because I was wondering. Um, and if you watch other, I don't know, I don't think it's in the Bill Simmons interview, but if you watch others, he he mentions it was important. He didn't want it to just be like every week there's a new person he has to kill and then there's a new scene he has to do in mm. the, in his theater class or whatever. So they do set up a narrative with these Chechens where like he, I'm I'm not gonna spoil, but like they're gonna come back. Like it's yeah. pretty concrete. We'll we'll probably get into spoilers as the season goes along. I definitely recommend that uh, listeners out there check the show out because. I mean, the fr- the pilot pulled me in. Like, yeah. I was already in on this show, but the pilot, like, it really did intrigue me. I laughed, and I was engaged at certain points where it has that kind of... It's more of a drama than a comedy, it feels like, um, just as far as the narrative from the pilot goes. It feels like a drama that I'm going to be invested in while also still having some good laughs along and, the way. And I think that... Um, I think the, the Watch Boys may have talked about this, but I think that... HBO hasn't had a comedy that they've put this much money into in a minute. Um, I don't know how much the girls uh, from Girls charged with their salary. <laughs> the girls from Girls? I thought there was boys on Girls. Mm. Well, there's Adam Driver, and that's we got it. boys on okay. girls. We got girls on girls. But this, you know, this seems like a not not a huge budget show. It's not Game of Thrones or anywhere near close to that, but. It seems like they're putting, uh, they're leaning into this a little bit. So it's it's good that um, it's someone like Bill Hader behind there. Yeah, and, and this is it, it, he's not just acting like he's, he's very doing actively everything. involved. If you look at the credits after the show, he is director, he is star actor, he is executive producer, he is co creator. He's he's writing, he's doing everything. Um, I I think this is a very promising pilot. It's not the it's like not the best pilot in the world. You know, it's not the Breaking Bad pilot, but it's enough to definitely hook me. And I think it shows more promise than any of the shows of SNL alum from his generation. Yeah. Save probably Parks and Rec. I don't expect the show to meet <laughs> that standard, but like it's definitely going to I think it's safe to say I think it's going to be better than Last Man on Earth and I think it's going to be better than Brooklyn Nine-Nine which are Sandberg and uh, Forte shows. Before we uh, before we move on though I do want to point out this kind of little bit of a significant knock I got to give the show which is the Sarah Goldberg character Sally um, I don't know if it was the direction it's like the main girl mm-hmm. um, it, or maybe her performance you but you I didn't was care about her as a possible love interest yeah I, I just seem like it was a little bit too shoehorned like they it, it, they just kind of meet you know, she kind of just meets the stranger that walks into the acting yeah. class and is immediately yeah, kind of yeah. trying to bang I, I him or that. whatever. I'm just, I just love Steven Root and just anything that he's in. I mean, I've loved him since like stuff like Office Space. Okay, but, like now seeing what him else in the has show, he been in? Because he looked he was really a voice familiar. on King of the Hill. Um, I mean, he's done like a good bit of voices. He was in like Dodgeball. I think he was in. Let me check. Oh, I'll yeah, he was in No Country for Old Men. True. Actually, also like a uh, smaller character, but al- um, also it's like eternally great to see Henry Winkler. He's always been, <laughs> yeah, dude, and he's, he's supposed awesome to he's supposed to be like a main character in this. Yeah, he's the acting I coach. I fucking love it. And Henry mm. Winkler is amazing. Yeah, he's uh he's great, and I I actually did enjoy the love interest thing because I've kind of 
met people like her like she kind of rang a little true for me where it's these people who just kind of see what they want to see in you and she just like she barely met this guy and she's like oh okay hey look at me like i, I like yeah you know. but but look at bill Hader. come on <laughs> is <laughs> that just, why just look at him like come on uh i kind of i kind of bought her as like a neurotic you know a wannabe actress who obviously is just <laughs> never gonna make it you know i kind of bought that i i like this show i enjoyed it and yeah I I usually get disappointed by things that I have expectations for, but it doesn't. It didn't disappoint me, which shows. More I mean, I'm I'm in. I'm gonna keep watching. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather watch this in Silicon Valley for sure. <laughs> um, do you want to get a little bit into Death of Stalin before we get we hit a break? Uh, just really briefly, I wanted to talk about this. Um, we were kind of originally we were talking about doing like kind of a co-review for these two things, but I think I'm the only person here who saw this movie. Um, out of the three of us, um, but this week I saw the the death of Stalin, uh, directed by Armando Iannucci. I, yeah, Iannucci, who who's of made Veep, Veep um, and a lot of stuff before that. A yeah, lot of political he, stuff. Yeah, he made um the show or the movie, I should say, uh, in the loop. Uh, he made the show in the thick of it before Veep. Um, I thought this movie was good. It was not great. Um. I thought the performances in this movie were really, really fucking awesome, especially by Steve Buscemi and by Jeffrey Tambor. It's a huge namely. cast, isn't it? Um, Problematic. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> um, also, shout out to Simon Russell Beale, uh, who really, really gave a fucking amazing performance in this movie. But overall, I thought this movie was kind of all over the place with as far as the tone went. Um I, it's not really a spoiler at all, just talking about the general plot of this movie, because this movie is kind of a satire, and it's also historical, so, like, it just kind of, it's the fucking, Stalin died. Don't, I don't tell know if, me, God I don't know it. if you guys know that, but Stalin died. Fuck. So, um, Joseph Stalin? this kind of goes into the moments leading right up into Joseph Stalin's death, and how kind of the because the time i mean there was a whole council in uh russia and they had kind of these rules that they had to follow for what happens whenever um whenever the leader dies but it's this like vying of power that happens between all the council members amongst each other and that was all really good but this movie kind of felt like very disconnected in a sort of way. Um, I've heard a lot of people call this uh, like the best movie of last year and stuff like that. A lot, it really? Is, well, I've heard several people. I should say okay. um, it, this was definitely on like multiple top ten lists that I saw, oh. but it just it wasn't in America for the longest time, or at least it wasn't in general releases. See, this still isn't. I wouldn't say in a wide release. We, I had to see this at an art house theater yeah, here in Orlando. We, we were seeing previews of this movie at the Enzian Theater for like almost a year. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, and they never showed it until now. Okay, which this is a little bit of a fault. I honestly, I hadn't seen the trailer in long enough that it didn't really bother me, just because I kind of forgot what the trailer was. But um, I've heard this fault that kind of the best jokes are in the trailer of See, this movie. that doesn't surprise me in the slightest, because like when you said that it was good and not great, the first thing I thought was, well, then the best jokes must have been in the trailer, because the trailer is hilarious, and most trailers are not. Well, the thing is, is like I said, like I saw the trailer before, but I really did not remember a single joke from it. Um, I thought that 
it just it it felt almost like completely different movies um just to kind of just say a little bit about it like without going too into spoilers how it starts is when stalin's still alive there's this orchestral recording happening this orchestral performance happening that's uh going out live to russian airwaves and stalin calls in and says hey I want a recording of that uh, of that performance tonight, and they didn't record anything. So the people who are conducting the thing like call in the crowd to come back into the performance, and they're like, "Hey, orchestra, you guys have to re-perform this oh this concert God. that you just did." And the first like ten fifteen minutes of it, I thought this movie is fucking amazing. Like I loved everything that was happening, but it just it feels disconnected in a weird sort of way. Um, Jeffrey Tambor plays a, the uh, um, the the uh, let me pull up his actual name right here because I will say one of the uh, highlights of this movie is it felt kind of educating for uh, satire. It was kind of shed light on a point of Russian history that I didn't really know, which was kind of what happened after Stalin died. You but he plays the character. He plays the character uh, Georgi Malenkov, who actually took over power directly after Stalin died. Um, and he's kind of this bumbling idiot who takes the advice of whoever speaks to him in the most convincing way last, which is oddly very pertinent to the times that we live in right now with our current president, which I think is one of the reasons why people love this movie so much is that a little bit of the themes kind of ring true. Um, but at the meantime, uh, Steve Buscemi plays a, uh, Khrushchev, I believe is how you correctly pronounce the character's name but um he plays this very very manipulative character who's kind of using everybody in the council and he's kind of you can tell he's kind of bouncing off everybody trying to use all them getting on everybody's good side and everything and in the end if you look up history khrushchev takes over power in russia for a short amount of time um, that's not really a spoiler. That's just kind of general history. Things. Right. I started going into a little bit of a history well, lesson after going I'm, into this I'm movie. I'm seeing this film uh, tomorrow, or I guess today, because it's already uh, Easter Sunday. It's it's like I said, it's good. I wouldn't say it's a great movie. Um, it definitely it's it is very well directed. It's a movie that I saw, and I really want um. Ianucci to do more films and stuff, especially since Veep is kind of nearing its end. Hopefully. But it's kind of getting to one of those points where, you know, I mean, he's kind of been a, uh, a, a showrunner and a director who's always made a point of, like, pointing out, like, poking fun at politics and yeah. everything. But we're reaching this really weird point in society where the real word the real world is more absurdist than you can write a comedy show i mean yeah. i feel like he's trying to strike the balance between those two things and that's kind of what the death of stalin feels like where he's trying to teach you something while also being a satire and poking the fun at and it so doesn't feel complete to me so you're but... saying he should make the trump movie yeah I mean, why? Why not? Why Fuck not? It, why not? <laughs> Fuck it, All right, why we'll, not? We'll, we'll talk more about this movie next week because I'm seeing it tomorrow. Um, but for now, we're gonna take a break, and when we get back, we're talking Ready Player One. We are. 
I um I found this new virtual reality game um where you get to go in um into the reality world and then you see a bunch of um I remember that one and a bunch of oh I recognize that one and then a lot of oh I know that one and then you just walk around the whole world and you're like yeah yeah I I remember all of these I clapped because I remembered yeah so it was a good time because I I knew it all because I'm such a pop culture nerd (laughs) And I felt very gratified for understanding all of the references. This is something we should talk about. Honestly, I'm a dork. (laughs) Like, I just love all that. I love Star Wars. Honestly, nerds are cool, guys. Yeah. The nerds are now bullying the bullies. Yeah. Because we we fire them. There are guys who are just like, hey, did you watch the sports ball game last night? And you're like, oh, fucking loser. How many times have you watched Doctor Strange? Yeah. Yeah. You pussy. Yeah. How many <laughs> references could you pick out in Ready Player One directed by Steven Spielberg 2018? Yeah. Anyway, um, we're back. <laughs> Let's, okay. Let's get into it. Yeah. Um, so this movie, Ready Player One, it's it's the new film by Steven fucking Spielberg. So before we start, do you guys want to break down, I don't know, like 50 years of Steven Spielberg? No. Every movie by movie? No? Okay. All right. Okay, so let's never mind. Move on. All right. So wait, 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 wait. Favorite Spielberg movie. Go. Jaws. <sighs> it's between, I'm at one. Just say one. It. All right. Jaws. Fine then. Yep. Me too. All right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Jaws was is the best one. Jaws. Raiders and Jurassic Park. Yeah. Okay. I think that all of them are amazing. So this is a movie we've mentioned it before, but I I read this book when I was probably eight seventeen or eighteen. It came out in twenty eleven. Yeah. I read it in twenty twelve probably. And it was during a time it was around my senior year of high school and I really wasn't reading many books back then. And this book was accessible enough that it was great to get me back into yeah, it's reading. It's a young books. adult novel. Yeah. It's yeah, it's not like it's not like Hunger Games where it's super middle schooly, but it's like perfectly high school. This book, like it, and that's not to say you can only read it and appreciate it if you're in high school. Like I read it again in college and I liked it. It's just, a, it's a fun book. It's a quick read, um, and much like the movie Ready Player One, I think that maybe its biggest fault is that the ideas it touches on are better than the execution of the story itself. Where, like, there's some certain ideas where you're like, holy shit, that makes so much sense. And then, like, the story kind of bogs it down in, like, some basic-ass uh, bullshit. But either way, it's it's a... I mean, it's just a fun novel. And reading it, there's no way you can... You got to read that book and be like, okay, well, this is kind of a movie. It was, also, al- it was it's almost al- written to be a movie. It's also for a very specific audience, which I think is true for the movie as well. Like, Well, I mean, kind of, but kind of not... This okay. The book was written before Member Berries was like an everybody thing, like before nostalgia was like the most bankable like property in the world. Um, so back then it was a kind of a specific thing of like, hey, if you appreciate this, now like you almost to be a member of society, you have to at least act like you appreciate like the eighties and like yeah, whether stuff. or not you've actually like seen every piece of IP from the eighties, like you have to just kind of yeah. accept that everything is kind of a knockoff from the eighties. Specifically of a lot of things that Steven Spielberg has created. Which are not actually in this film. Uh, For the most part, yeah. Uh, th- there's a Jurassic Park reference thrown in there very 
kind of there's subtle... a Gremlins, which he was an executive producer on, mm. um, thrown in there. In yeah, the but there's there's no there's no ET. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I don't want to just dive into spoilers, but you know, there's no ET, there's no close yeah. encounters, there's no Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I didn't see Tom Hanks. I was really looking forward to yeah. an Avatar there's look no, like Tom there's Hanks. There's no Schindler's. There's no The Terminal. There's no Catch Me If You Can. There's no Tom Cruise Minority Report. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Ready Player One is uh, it's a book about it's set in the year twenty forty five. Yeah. And it's so it's a future where the reality of the world has kind of kind of gone to shambles. We you know everything is kind of like you know people have given up. The protagonist Wade uh, Watts Wade Watts lives in something called the stacks, which is literally just a trailer park that is stacked on like it's multiple trailers on top of each other because population is so dense. But the escape is that. Almost everyone lives most of their life within this virtual reality created by a virtuoso um, who was way ahead of his time named Halliday, who essentially created this world that you can completely escape from reality and live in where basically anything is possible. You can do whatever you want and you can you can travel among like infinite planets of infinite possibilities. And there's a specific emphasis because the creator was like a uh, nerd who like was obsessed with 80s pop culture and video games and movies. Because that's the era that he grew up in. Yeah. So this world that everyone is living in is centered around these this pop culture. Well, specifically, it's because James Halliday has passed away and has left the inheritance yeah. of the Oasis, the control of the whole virtual world to whoever finds a series of keys and Easter eggs that lead. Yeah. It's it's three keys that lead to one Easter egg that will get that person control of the virtual reality yeah. world. And that is something that the the book does a lot better than the movie. That it yeah. sets up a world where the reason why people are obsessed with the 80s is because they're obsessed with finding the clues to this exactly. scavenger hunt. It's a it's a Willy Wonka type story, yeah. and it's set up a lot better in the book. Okay, so can we get right into our thoughts? I mean, mm-hmm. spoiler-free thoughts. Yeah, um, let's, let's get into it. Okay, so I have a little bit of a take for you guys. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be hot or not, but um, I love this movie. I that's genuinely hot. think that's hot. You're I hot. genuinely think you're hot right now. I think this movie is better than the book I'm, in almost every single way. If you can't um, see right now, I'm I'm cooling down Hunter because he's so hot. Yeah, right? we're fanning yeah. Hunter. Yeah. Okay. So if you can't see. Okay, which so, you might be able to. <laughs> so I just want to. We're going to talk a little bit. We're not. Again, we're not going to get into spoilers until we get into the spoiler section. But one of the things, the points that I really, really bothered me the most about. Uh, the book and it's more of a book thing that is a movie because again we're seeing as opposed to being told but these strenuous and like overbearing points of nostalgia are just being like read to you over three separate pages as well as higher pages as well as having wade watts himself just kind of lay trivia on you over and over like non-stop that's something that happens in the book almost very repetitively which as somebody who really appreciates 80 80s culture and who loves a lot of this stuff it didn't bother me as much but like it was one of those things that like i read and i was like all right can we kind of get on with the story now like i get like the scene has been established but 
in this movie, there's only a couple of points in which that actually happens. For the most part, the quote-unquote uh, pandering nostalgia that people are going to meme the hell out of and going to destroy this movie of, they're kind of left on the outskirts of the frame. And I think that Steven Spielberg really handled this movie kind of excellently in the fact that every fault that I have in this movie is something that's based on the source material and not something in that and Steven the Spielberg consul- controlled himself. And I actually thought that this script, like the screenplay, the way that everything moves is better than it is in the movie, in the book itself. It is Ernest Klein adapting his own novel. Ernest Klein and Zach Penn, who's done a lot of work with, uh, like he did Avengers. Yeah. He he worked with Whedon on the first. He worked with, uh, Whedon and I think he worked with Snyder on Zach Snyder on, um, not, not call, not Colin Snyder or, or Jacob Jacob Snyder. (laughs) Colin Snyder and one person now. Um, but I might be honest with you guys. I saw this movie for the second time today. Oh, you got a chance to catch it. Nice. I saw it for the second time today because I really, really wanted to see this movie for uh, twice before we did the podcast. Because the first time I saw it, I kind of had an old school feeling that I haven't had in a Spielberg movie in a long time in which I was just totally sweeped away in the spectacle of everything. Which we should say, I mean... 80% of this movie takes place in the VR world and the Oasis, and it looks fucking amazing. Like, you're invested in these characters. For the most part, yeah. I disagree with you. I think that I'm entirely invested in these characters in the Oasis. I, I think the characters look great, but the backdrops could have been a little better. I, I don't know. I, I, I may be biased because of the way I imagined it from the book. I, I imagine something a little bit more grand, more epic. Um, I do think the facial technology of these actors being portrayed as avatars is amazing, especially Ben Mendelsohn and the avatar that he chooses, which is, I, I think love that. it's Superman, right? Yeah, it's basically Clark Clint mixed with a villain, mixed with like the Hulk. I love that. <laughs> um, I, it's great. Yeah, so my general thoughts are, I, I like the movie. It kind of exceeded my expectations because they weren't very high. It made a lot of changes from the book, which were necessary. I think for the most part, good. Some of those, I think they were better. Well, some worked, but I definitely don't think it's better than the book. I think there were a lot of changes that were made that really sacrificed a lot of like my top, like exact favorite parts of the book were just completely left out a lot of the time, which is something you. You can't like hold too much against it because it's a different meat form of you know portraying a story. But there were some parts that were kind of essential that I think were left out for the worse. Um, but overall, as far as like if if they were dead set on this is going to be one movie, like you have to make a lot of changes to one book, and they did, and they did, and I think overall they did pretty well. Um, and I can't hold too much against the changes that they did make. Except in a few cases, which we'll get into. But it, it it's really, like, it's kind of impressive. Because to fit all this shit into one movie and have it, it... It had a decent payoff for me at the end. It wasn't like, holy shit, like, that was a ride. It, but it was like, all right. like They did it. <laughs> it, it. It was just like, all right, they, you know, it was kind of rushed, but it... it for oh. the what it was rush oh yeah they did leave out rush <laughs> yeah i i thought that, that was the point because we all know you're such a big rush fan no i'm not yeah <laughs> but 
it was it was kind of a rushed like from a lot of story perspectives a lot of little aspects were just completely fucking blown over because they almost had to to fit it within like two hours and 17 minutes or whatever it was but for the most part they did they did a decent amount of justice to the source material while changing a lot which is hard to do it was a juggling act and they did a pretty decent job i would say yeah so uh, we want to get to spoilers as quickly as possible so I'll, I'll get through my thoughts and we can have a little bit more of a discussion but i don't think this is a great movie at all i would I, think, I would not call it a great i at think all. you could even call this a bad movie whoa but i fucking enjoyed the shit out of it and i, I think, can't wait to fight with you in the spoilers I think, oh my god <laughs> i think that you can enjoy a movie that's not good i think it's okay to find real i think this movie doesn't offend anyone like nothing this movie does is mean-spirited or offensive in any way everything is done in good taste and everyone that says that this movie is ruining their childhood is full of shit honestly because that's not how can you go into this movie thinking that it's not going to just shower you with references and and like pop culture pop culture winks and nods like that's the whole fucking point of the movie so pe- i think people that are going into this and coming out just absolutely just angry as fuck at, as to the 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 pop culture trouncing around with you know uh, Gundam or uh, Iron Giant or whatever it is, they're not understanding the point of the movie, which is to bring all of these crazy uh, kind of characters and properties together in, in in a stage that has never been done before and that probably will never be done in the way that this movie does it. So it, you have to go into this movie understanding what it's trying to do. And it's trying to set a stage of a video game where the players are choosing characters and items and scenarios that are all linked to movies or TV series or any of these pop culture icons from the 20th and century. See, one of my biggest points is tw- like 2011 when this book was written was not that long ago, but that concept is visionary already it's only seven years later and that concept already makes more sense than it did in 2011 and spielberg is able to look a little bit deeper and he uh, honestly towards the end of the movie he kind of basically has one of the characters say the theme of the film but he's able to bring it to a place where you really do think about it and you really do think about the implications of technology overshadowing the real world and how deep these people in this world have like gotten into this video game and and the regret that the Mike that the Mark Rylance character has through his own life creating this virtual world. I think that's where the movie really shines. And you know, we'll we'll get into more of the specifics of the performances later, but I think that the the heart and soul of this movie is in that message of reality is the only place where you can get a a decent meal okay so i uh (laughs) there's there's a couple different things one um the whole idea of spielberg 
where you realize the point and then Spielberg hitting you on the head with what the idea of it is and saying it. I think that's a that is a theme in pretty much every single Spielberg movie. Like we talked about the post on here. He's he's not a very subtle guy. No, yeah. he's very much not because you he's a guy of he wants everybody to see his movie and if it it's a movie that you're like casually watching, he wants it to be something where you can just kind of space out a little bit and tune back in and be like, oh, yeah, that's what that movie's about. Like, he's going to hit you over the head with it. Um, to that point, you kind of talked about what a lot of the general feel is. Did Were you ever insulted by what you would call pandering nostalgia? I, I don't think it's insulting. I just think that it kind of makes this movie a little bit of a niche film where it sidelines a lot of people like i'm sure if you're if you're 13 to 15 16 you'll enjoy this movie fine. that's my age group as you all know i'm 13 years old <laughs> but what if we were all just like 13 <laughs> and we went through puberty early but i i just i feel like this movie like it doesn't really work if you're a I don't know, 37-year-old okay, woman. So, okay, so um, to your point, I just want to talk to you. So I saw, like I said, I saw this movie for a second time today. And I was as I was walking out of the theater, there was uh, this like family in front of me. And uh, it was like husband, wife, and their kids with me, in front of me. And uh, the kids were just like, oh, yeah, you know, I thought that was really good. And uh, the husband was just like, you know, uh, feel like that's going to be the problem with this movie is that uh you millennials are trying to kill what was best in film and you just don't understand what was so great about movies so this is the dad no yeah the dad was talking about how this movie was like fucking perfect because it was just like you guys you, you this is why millennials are going to destroy this movie okay, because so you don't understand what was what was so perfect about this time period we, in film we should say hunter culture. and i hunter and i got to see this at a, an advanced screening which was sold out like packed it was like there were 400 people in the theater yeah, like, like a, this was a huge screening completely sold every out. every single seat was filled and i got a really good gauge on to how kind of general audiences were going to react to this movie and i mean i don't know if anyone's going to be surprised to hear this but people were literally just cheering at every references that they understood yeah they were just cheering because they knew it i had that in my theater and i'll say i was not offended by any of the nostalgia stuff i was offended by even in spielberg terms the over explanation was too much at a lot of points in this movie where it was like i'm not seven well I, what about I, what I, about the opening montage where, where it kind of sets that up. That was the kind whole of part world. of it. Okay, it like, starts with like some of the most like. Could you tell this story? It could have been told in a much more interesting way, while also being not not too complicated for like a thirteen year old. But there were points where they literally just say what's happening instead of showing it in a way that is almost borderline offensive or pointing out a reference directly. I'm I'm really interested to it. get into spoilers with you guys to find out what All exactly right, well, your problems with are with this movie are because. Like I said, like I really I love this movie. I think that this is the best as far as spectacle movies go because Spielberg has reached this point we should say in his career where he's making blockbuster movies and kind of dramatic movies historical like, Link, like Lincoln. Yeah. Um I think that this is kind of the best spectacle movie since 
I mean, I would say since War of the Worlds, but I honestly think this movie is better than War of the Worlds. Really? I think War of the Worlds is a good movie, but it does not have the same good it performances. Kinda, it kind of falls apart a um, little bit. Just to talk a little bit before we get into spoilers, I think that the performances for the most part in this movie are really, really good. Ty Sheridan as a slightly more attractive Miles Teller does a really excellent mm, job. That's true. That's Do you good. like that? Because I think that he looks like a slightly more yeah, attractive. Miles I like that. Tyler. I don't like Ty Sheridan though. I honestly was like, uh, this guy really. Be, this guy could be anyone. This guy's gonna look like Ted Cruz in fifteen years, and no one's gonna remember his name. But either way, okay. I, I was like, whatever. Olivia Cook acted him out of the water in every scene they were in together. I was like, she's better. She's mm. just she's gonna be in shit, and and I think in ten years he's gone. I, I kind of disagree with you. I think Olivia. Cook, no, I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong. I thought Olivia Cook was good. I think the major highlight of this movie, and I was so excited whenever I saw the casting for this, was Mark Rylance okay. as Halliday. That's probably the only thing we'll completely agree with. He <sighs> is incredible. He's almost he's perfect. He, the thing is, okay, so he's playing Halliday, who is this James enigmatic, Halliday. this eccentric genius who created this entire world they're in. So it's maybe the most important character in the movie. He is unbelievable. He's almost acting in a different movie because of the subtlety of his performance where every other performance is extremely broad and yeah he plays like this kind of like slightly autistic like but super genius just, kind of character he is acting everyone else out of the water without without spoiling anything he gets into a halid into a, a monologue at the end of the movie both times i saw this movie i was tearing up at the theater he is, I, I will say it took it's me beautiful it took me a little while to get used to his uh, acting choice because hmm. he he makes a choice with this character um, that you really haven't seen with Mike with Mark Rylance before. I don't think I I never saw the BFG, so I don't know what he does in that one. But based on what I've seen with Mark Rylance before, I I mean I can point out Dunkirk and Bridge of Spies as standouts. I mean he won the Oscar for Bridge of Spies, so that's what I've been exposed to with Mark Rylance. With this movie, I I don't know I. I, I just keep trying to think of what I expected this character to be like reading the book. And it still kind of took me by surprise what Mark Rylance was doing with the character. And it took me a little while to get into it. And I'm curious to see the film a second time to see mm. if I'm into it from the jump. But by the end, by the end, I was into it. It just took me a little while to get used to what see, he was like, doing. I, I feel like reading the book, this was kind of the perfect character because... Like, reading the book, I imagined James Halliday as a fucking weirdo. Like, I imagined him as this extremely weird dude. Like, nobody else would create this entire world and then die and not actually give his fortune to anybody and be like, hey, whoever's, like, the best gamer, like, gets to win this game. Like, I imagine that as, like, a fucking weirdo. And a loner. Weirdo dude. Like, a loner. A guy who's extremely alone and just only has this game that he built to create and to, like give his fortune off to is whoever masters the game. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole point of everything. Um, I, I, I will really... say I do love Ben Mendelsohn in this. He is yes. doing his... Ben Mendelsohn is, is he's actually doing, awesome. He's doing his usual thing, but he's doing it in a way that kind of plays into the whole maniacal villain thing with like a corporate angle. Yeah. We, we do have a moment where we see his... Uh, kind of like the behind the scenes moment of the 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 historian the 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 holiday historians kind of feeding him the answers mm -hmm. in his ear and that's a good moment there yeah yeah so definitely. 
I think he did fine, but I think his character was way too uninteresting to get that much screen time in this movie. He is in so much of the movie doing the same thing in every scene almost. And it's like, show me more of Mark Rylance fucking nailing it as this weird, eccentric, interesting character instead of this like generic person. What about uh, Simon Pegg? I thought that... um just before we get to Simon Pegg, because I really love Simon Pegg, he but um, I thought that Teacher. while Ben Mendelsohn did really good, uh, Hannah John Kamen, um, the hench lady, the hench lady, I thought that she was really bad. That I think might be my biggest criticism with this movie is she was not interesting in any sort of way whatsoever. Where Ben Mendelsohn's character, we'll get to a point wherever we get to spoilers, but I think that there was. Like, one very, like, small moment. It wasn't even Tria as a big moment in the movie, but where, like, you see it and you're like, oh, shit, this guy isn't fucking around. Like, he is legit, like, going to do whatever it takes to win this contest. Um, But Hannah John came in as, like, the real-world henchman kind of character. I was not interested in her character whatsoever. Another person who I was kind of whatever about was tj miller's character who is supposed to be the bad yeah, guy he's not in the book at all the uh yeah he's not in the book at all he's meant to be the bad guy but funny character this um, yeah this is as i rock one of my biggest problems with this movie is there's so many they gave so many scenes to these uninteresting villains instead of giving more of what i enjoyed so much about the book which is this world building that uh Ernest Klein was able to create in a pretty short book and instead they're showing these villains that's like well I've seen both of these guys before but I would almost argue that the world in the movie is more interesting than the world in the book you mean the the oasis or the real world the oasis as far as that goes I would argue that and the journey that these characters take is more interesting in the movie than it is in the book so this is something that we were talking about off mic before the pod but I really want to nail down the 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 point that one of the things I miss the most that they didn't include in the film from the book is them just living their daily lives yeah, that's in the, the they oasis. go to school that's that's one thing that I did miss from the movie um this isn't a spoiler or anything but in the uh in the book itself they go to school and, and they shop like and, and they, they shop. live and, and yeah it, and they stream and this Which is, they do talk about them them streaming in the... Like, there's one like line. Okay, well, so we've done our overall thoughts. Can we get into spoilers or what? Okay, before we get into spoilers, let's just say um, I give this movie a solid six, maybe wow. maybe seven, like a strong six. I give it a strong six. I give it like a 6.8. I Wow! I give this movie an eight out of ten. I, mean, I that's fine. Possibly I thought, an eight point five out of ten. I thought it was fun. I don't think it's trash. A lot of people are calling it trash. Um, I don't really don't think it's trash. I think it's an entertaining film. Just go into it I- expecting what it is, which is it, it's kind of like this fun journey uh, that you've seen a million times just set in this virtual world that is filled with pop culture references and that's it i mean it's they trim a lot of the fat from the book and it does make for a very entertaining film and and i think the biggest takeaway that i can 
get from this movie is the directing and the camera work from Spielberg is the action sequences are phenomenal yeah we didn't even talk about that like the actual i think that the action sequences and the set pieces in this movie are better than any set piece that has been in a marvel movie i can agree with that i just think the biggest knock is kind of like the formulaic plot and the kind of half-baked characters that you have in there like you have these really epic grand action sequences where you really can kind of pinpoint everything that's happening you the in black panther there were a lot of times during the action scenes where i didn't even know what was happening yeah i i, I was looking at the screen and i was like i wow I, that I, looks I, pretty i don't know what's going on in ready player one that barely happened I, I honestly can't even think of a time the, where that happened i always knew where to put my eyes i always knew what to look at the the focus was clear the 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 camera work was clear every single motion of every shot was clear it all looked great which is really a credit to spielberg as yeah. director no like, he is like he, he is a master at making you know where to look and he and yeah well that's why he's called the master manipulator because he knows how to take the audience on a ride and that's what this movie does best it takes you on a ride it's highly highly entertaining i definitely recommend it if you just want to have a good time i i don't get people okay, who are so, hating okay, on this so, movie so for quickly, having a bad time um i just want to say since i'm definitely the highest on this movie out of all of you guys um i really think that this might be spielberg's i mean taking aside like his his historical drama movies because it's kind of hard to compare ready player one to lincoln but i think that this might be his best spectacle movie since Saving Private Ryan. Um, as far as Minority Report goes, I really like Minority Report. Um, I think it would be a better Kubrick movie as it was originally intended. No, but, you're thinking of uh, AI. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, Catch Me If You Can, I like. I think that's a good movie. War of the I Worlds, love Catch Me If You Can. War of the Worlds has a lot of faults. But as far as big spectacle Spielberg movies go, I really think that this is a great movie. And I think this is a movie that I, I'm i ready for all of the shit that's going to come towards this movie. I'm, I'm ready for all of the hate and the nostalgia hate that's going to come towards this movie. But I just think that this movie is just it's just good old fashioned blockbuster fun i i think this movie is how other people describe pacific rim one is how i feel about this movie where they're like it's just fun that's how i feel about this movie it's just fun but like when i think really hard about it i'm like they really they did dirty some parts of like how any story should be told not just the book but like just some parts of it were like wait a minute you're really just not going to tell me anything about what's happening like there were just there was a lot of blow over. There's a lot of like hand waving in this movie and it had to be done because they, this movie was kind of like a tight two hours and 18 minutes, which is like kind of a funny thing to say. It really, like it flows by. There were, there were, yeah, there were probably like 10 minutes that I could see being cut out. But like, I think that's how I saw this movie. I was like, that was fun. That was fun. All right. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's fine. It's fun. It's a good time. You won't, think you wasted your money okay these guys think it's it's fine i think it's great i think that it is really really good okay 
I think it's going to be better than Infinity War. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, me too, because I think Infinity War is going to be trash. I'd put this above, like, maybe half of the Marvel movies. It's better than Paddington 5. All right. Um, How dare you? Spoilers for Ready Player One starting now. All right. So so do you guys want to talk a little bit about kind of the differences that this movie yeah, made from the book. I really hated all of the porn <laughs> propaganda that was just plastered to all of these tiny children through the oasis. Like all of the porn ads that just kept popping up all over throughout the whole movie. You didn't like seeing penis in a PG-13 yeah, movie? It was like really was unsettling to me. I, okay, I want to talk about something. <laughs> Alright, real spoiler starting now. Yeah. This is a big issue I have with this movie. And it, like I said, it's very similar to how I felt during Doctor Strange. This movie just did dirty the road of trials that you're supposed to see in any good story. There is no... The the book does such a good job of building this world. You see why Wade was not chosen, but why he's the one that this story is about. Because you see him doing nonstop research into 80s stuff and you see him playing all these games and recreating all these movies, you understand you're like, oh, this guy, he's, he's been grinding. He's one. Yeah, exactly. You see the grind. There is no grind at all in this movie. You see there is one line like 30 minutes in where Olivia Cook's like, I think you're going to win because you know him better than anyone. And it's like, oh, really? He knows Halliday better than anyone? How would I know that? But it's alluded to in other points before that whenever they're going into the uh the whole room where there is the uh the i forgot his exact name but uh wherever there's the butler character and they're looking at the old the curator of, the curator and you can um you can see that parcival wade watts has watched these scenes over and over yeah. oh yeah over he, that's, he knows what i'm the, saying is that like a, the road of trials should not be alluded to it should be i don't shown. think it is alluded to i think that it is shown in those was. scenes no but i'm saying that it is showing those scenes where he's going in there before he goes in there to see the first key he is repeating the lines that halliday says before he says them i know but i'm saying there should be more than that it's a road of this is the part of the story circle that gets you to See, give a fuck. That's the part that I don't give a fuck the most about movies is I don't need to see the grind. I'd rather see the characters when they've already have those powers. Like I don't I don't need to see another fucking origin story. Like I'm fine well, with it's just not establishing an story. It's I'm just fine showing... with this five years have passed since Halliday has died when I know. this movie takes place. Like But it's just I totally guarantee... glazed over. But it doesn't I don't give need you a to see of... that. Like the the point that you guys talked about in the very beginning the mon- the little voiceover which i am glad that the actual voiceover itself stopped about 10 yeah, 15 minutes yeah me too cuz i was movie. like this sucks <laughs> i didn't think that sucked but i just i thought that the the opening voiceover was good and that was enough that was all that i needed i i did like the fact that it kind of sums up everything in the first in the beginning of the in movie the fr- it sums up the first hundred pages of yeah, the book because but, that's the problem i have with the book like the book since so much time establishing every little fucking thing and then spending all this time look at all this fucking grinding he's doing i don't need that in a movie like i'd rather just have everything just trimmed up a little bit like i know this story this is a story that i've seen before but that doesn't mean it's a bad story that just means i've seen it before well, but okay. i don't need all of this explained to me what i'm another the voiceover in the beginning beginning for example i think was i'm not saying it was bad i'm saying it was the least creative way to possibly show that they could have gone without any voiceover if they'd 
chosen to be a little more creative with how they showed the story. They could have showed him in the VR doing something and then exiting the VR and then walking around the world like they did and showing like he walks through a bunch of you see a bunch of trailers with a bunch of people in the VR. You see world. a guy surfing and a woman so, pole dancing. Yeah, so you don't you don't need to hear I'm Wade and this is the stacks. I, I I laughed out loud when he was like, Hey, that's me. Yeah, exactly. It <laughs> was like Parzival. it was it was a little bit too childlike. It was like it was kind of like and I was watching at the beginning of a kid's honestly, movie. Honestly, like during our screening, there were kids that I could see that were not following along at all. Yeah, well, like within the first ten minutes of the movie, as during that voiceover sequence, they were already checked out. So like little like six, seven year old kids. Like yeah, so maybe he did it for like the eight, nine year old kids, which is fine. But for me, I was like, I really don't need this right now. Like even if I hadn't read the book, I don't need you to explain to me with words what's happening. Yeah. But when, when Spielberg camp- is so good at showing what's the happening, the camera work is so. I know damn that's the good. thing. He's so good at just showing it, and he he felt the need to also tell. Yeah, because in that opening sequence, he was trying. You- to include literally everyone yeah but there's so much going on you have the camera work you have the voiceover and you have the 80s music playing in the background all at the same time which is i mean jump playing was like the perfect choice for them because it's a very classic i don't think it was jump in the beginning it is jump it is believe me i just i just saw it today it is jump playing at the very beginning and then i thought it was tears for fears from that as soon as uh wade goes into the oasis himself it plays tears for fears um which from that into the the uh race sequence that is some of the best like actual race action the way that that whole sequence is shot is fucking yeah. unbelievable that's what i was saying like, earlier you know exactly what's happening yeah at you're any following given everything yeah. like it it all feels very cohesive which i know it's cgi so it's easier to make a quote-unquote cohesive but shot. there's so many filmmakers but, that can't even do that exactly they still yeah. choose to make yeah. the like CG, cut it up the cg look very good I think what I was talking about with the road to trials, it wasn't that I was missing the grind. It was that like I was missing what I loved about the book, which is that it built this world that is so it's I know it's obviously it has a recency bias because like Ernest Klein had the advantage of seeing what the world was like in 2011, whereas Philip K. Dick did not have that advantage. Yeah, but it is the most realistic depiction of the future I'd ever seen. And we didn't really get to see how like everyone has these little chat rooms where they hang out in rooms that they get to build on their own and how everyone is streaming exactly what they do all the time and streaming all their clues that they find and how they beat all these challenges and things like that. That Which, Which we should mention that in the book, you get a key to unlock the challenge. That's a, yeah, yeah. I was I was actually going to talk about that as how in this in the uh, the movie versus the book, which I think was an extremely smart move as far as a movie goes, as far as cutting down the runtime and making it more cohesive, um, that there is the key and then the gate in the book itself versus just finding the key. You get three keys, you unlock the grand prize. Like That's kind of the whole thing with the movie, which I think is much more cohesive as far as storytelling goes. Yeah. Um, also they changed a lot of this stuff. I feel like the book was more video game oriented versus the movie being more general pop culture stuff oriented. Um, Probably. Of course, with, with all of the, the classic, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, in games. the, in the yeah. book there was uh joust was the original copy. We are going to get a little bit into spoilers for the book, I should say, but I mean, 
I uh, sure whatever yeah whatever (laughs) the movie's already out you already know you already know the general story like it's different um can we just get into what I think is the highlight of this movie? Yes, the okay. best scene in this movie by far. Oh my god, this is okay. This so, is so good for the Jade Key, the uh, second key of this uh, this whole story. So, in the book, um, just to establish a little background, the uh, character Wade Watts to unlock one of the uh, challenges, he has to play as uh, Matthew Broderick's character in War Games. Which like, like first person mode, like first person Which, playing in the book, him. that's awesome. But logistically, that is li- like literally not figuratively. Like that would act- It's actually impossible to do that without it being a joke. Yeah, like, like it literally would not work. You could not do that. So instead, they did one of the coolest things ever. Which going into this movie, I was worried about um, Steven Spielberg making an homage to himself. But instead, he made an homage to arguably the greatest filmmaker of all time, Stanley Kubrick, in yeah. The Shining. Yeah, and and this plays into one of the main themes of the film, which is the regret of Halliday and how he has linked all of these clues and all of these keys and Easter eggs to his own life and to his loneliness. Yeah, like the whole thing is, oh, I had a, I, I met a girl on here. She said she wanted to go out dancing, so I took her to a movie. Like that was one of those things that like I heard and like it kind of, it struck like a personal kind of chord with me just because like, I mean like my girlfriend guy can speak to this. Like I do kind of put movies ahead of things sometimes. So like that was kind of a thing that like I heard Halliday say this thing and like, it kind of struck a chord with me where I was like, fuck, like maybe I'm making this yeah. same kind of mistake. But it thing. wasn't just that. But it was that he didn't take the jump. Which He is, didn't take the leap. Yes, he, it was he a didn't leap do it. not they taken. Just, they just went to the movie and that was it. Yeah, and then they never ended up meeting together yeah. again. But the way that this sequence is shot, my God, I don't know how Spielberg did yeah, this. So where it, instead took, of going into war games, they go into the shining and they it literally looks like- took classic film, the classic score from the shining and took the CGI characters and put it over top of the shine. Yeah, it looks like straight up I, footage from I the film. I literally like my jaw was the first time we saw this like my jaw was dropped. Like I was literally like I don't know what the fuck like how the fuck yeah. they did this. It was like, a great sequence. This is it was one of the most insane things I think I've ever seen on film. And I'm not exaggerating about that. Like I literally think like it, I it yeah. was wild. It's to the me. standout scene from the movie. Especially because far. they take like you can tell by watching it, they take direct shot, especially from seeing it a second time. They take direct shots from uh, The Shining, and then kind of put these CGI characters over it. But then there's other shots, like um, whenever the blood is running sequence, where it is entirely manufactured, but it all looks very genuine. Yeah, you feel to like you're in the over the movie itself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That was, that was honestly it. That was probably I would agree. That's one of the better parts in the movie where it's it, like that. I was that was one of the parts where I was like, I'm I was so it, sucked it, yeah. In. I'm just into this right now. Imagine putting on VR goggles and walking around the Overlook Hotel. Yeah, like that's that's what that is essentially. That, like that's, that's what he, these people. Yeah, were that doing. was a change from the novel to the book that worked for me. The one okay, so the change from the book to the uh, the novel to the book i just said <laughs> <laughs> it's a big difference the change from the book to the movie that i think worked the best and was the most necessary to make a good movie 
was the fact that all of the main characters meet midway through yes, the movie. Yes, yes. I was actually, I was literally so, just about yeah, to bring that up. So in the yes. book, all of these main characters, they only meet in real life at the very end of the novel. So it's once that's everything, especially especially with Wade Watts and Olivia yeah. Cook's character. Like so that's they, a, they don't that meet is, until the very end. That of is the a movie. massive amount of narrative change that had to happen because realistically, you couldn't make a very compelling plot of a movie without the characters being in the same room together. Mm-hmm. They kind of have to be because visually, you need to see them together. Um, and so that really. That was something that I was thinking about when midway through the movie, I was like, wow, they really didn't actually meet until the end. Are they going to do that? And then they met and I was like, that's probably the best choice. There is yeah, a big they meet before they like they meet after they get the first key. There is a big nitpick I got to give to that, though, which is if you're telling a story about a huge open world international virtual reality video game. How the fuck are all of these people going to be in the near vicinity? They're all of each in other? Cleveland. That well, yeah. that see, that was the shitty part. The way they meet is so movie and so it. That was another kids movie thing where it was like, hey, just, just don't worry about it. They're there. They're all there. It's fine. Like it was, it was a thing that they swept over to move on. It was you know something I mean? that they talk about because I mean, Cleveland. They do say is the fastest Columbus. growing. Yeah. Or Columbus. It's I fast, should say. Yes, yeah, yeah. The it's the fastest growing, growing city. city in the world. Because that's where IOI is based out of. That's where yeah. Uh, uh, Gregorian. Yeah. So it was Gregorian just basically like gaming. But it was basically like, hey, they're all there. Shut the fuck up. Like, deal with it and move yeah. on. Also, another big change is the fact that Olivia Cook's character, Samantha, is kidnapped by IOI and forced to be put into okay. this like slave VR mm-hmm. um, world. Or, or what is okay. that even touched okay. on in so, the book? So, 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 yeah, it that's. Is. That's not, not, not her really. Character, but her the, character the is concept not, is though. Her character is not kidnapped. Um, I think that that is genuinely the best change as far as the movie to the book. It is. adds a lot of drama because it adds yeah. a lot of drama. And in the book, I if I'm remembering correctly, they have this whole thing where the the final sequence is essentially the same kind of thing. Um, Wade has to call this army together to take down this wall. But in the book, it's just like, oh, wow, we shot enough fire things at it that it took down the wall. Where, as far as the movie goes, it involved um, Samantha's character herself taking down the wall from the inside, which I think is much more interesting and much more believable from and a storytelling it cuts perspective. Back and forth between, yeah, and the way yeah. that that is shot, uh, the way that that cuts back and forth, I think is much better in the movie than it is in the book, where it's just we keep shooting at it until it eventually goes down. Yeah, I agree with that. That that is a better part of the book. And to foil that, a worse, a worse developed aspect of the movie is the romance between her and Wade. In the movie, it's almost hilarious where it's just like, he's like, I'm in love with you. And it's like, oh, you're in love with her? You just fucking met. In the book, it's like... But Olivia is just like, you don't fucking know me. Like, we haven't even met. You don't know who I am. Oh, I know. But that's... Yeah, because he says... He's like, my name's Wade. But even then, it's still like, come on. Like, that's a movie Okay, so that didn't bother me because that seems like some shit that... Okay, so like, imagine like... Think back a little bit to like 13-year-old... you just like talking to a girl on the internet you never talk to a girl in real life and you were just like (laughs) wow oh my god this girl and i we have like four similar interests i think that i love her like that's basically kind of how wade thinks in his mindset he spends days at a time just living in this virtual world just him and his boy 
who, spoiler later, turns out to be a girl, mm. H, just, like, hanging out together. They're just, like, palling around him, his best friend. That's all that he really has. Like, he doesn't have yeah. it was just any another, female connection. It was another thing where I was like, if we just had, like, three more minutes of them together, I would be, I would not be laughing right now at this concept. Because he is 19, he's not 13, and he is saying, I'm in love with you when they did meet, like, an hour but ago. But I will say that Olivia Cook's performance makes that not fall apart See, for me. I think she is the second she best it. in the entire movie after Mark Rylance, where, like, it's like, she's doing it. You know, she she is the she is the second person in this movie where I'm like, she is she deserves to be in other things. You know, I'll lot. say it again. I love Ben Mendelsohn in this. I was really digging everything. I that love he was Ben doing. Mendelsohn too. I like Ty Sheridan a lot of in this well, movie as slightly more so, attractive Miles Teller. I thought that he was really good. What the what about Ben Mendelsohn makes him a good character though? Like why does he deserve to be He's the just, second most shown character in the whole movie? I think that everything that his character embodies is the pursuit of like big tech companies to bank off of pop culture like he represents the fact that um this uh, obviously we we get this flashback sequence where they don't even try to dh him and we see him as the coffee intern (laughs) um but we get the sense of this guy who's really really smart and just wants to make money off of this great idea that Mm. wants to have heart in it and you know we you can make as many parallels to the real world as you want. Well, but yeah. So he's he at the essence of it, he's a villain who represents corporate greed, which is just basically a villain. But like I I bought his character. I think Ernest, you talked about the scene earlier, um, where he kind of he has the people in his ear like feeding him the pop culture references yeah. that he knows they wants. And, and that's, I that's really in the book lo- as well. Also. I really love that scene just because it seems like. He's the classic kind of like he's the corporate bad guy, but he's like trying to be like he's like the guy who pulls the chair around and sits on it backwards to be like, hey, guys, I'm just like one of you. Like he that was what exactly that scene was. I, I, I just, bought that. Scene. I really think that on paper, the character is very flat and Ben Mendelsohn does a lot of heavy lifting to sell that character as a kind of complex villain um, that is more than just a bad guy that wants to be this overruler of the virtual world. He actually has, I, I, I mean, think about why he chooses Superman as his avatar. He thinks that he's the hero by taking hold of the Oasis and making it accessible to all of these other people to profit off of it. Mm. He thinks that the Oasis is a um gold mine for profiteering. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. He's He doesn't think he that that's a bad thing though. Yeah, he he I mean, most villains don't that would make him an awful villain if he he was like, <sighs> "Yeah, I'm bad." But like either way, I just think there were more compelling characters that could have gotten more screen time because there were just there were probably three scenes where I was like, "Why are we looking at him still?" Like there's there are better characters to look at right now. And we're still looking at this villain. I already know he's bad. I already know what he's doing. It, it seemed kind of superfluous at times. Did you enjoy the but, scenes with T.J. Miller? Like the um, little, the little two. That was two shots that they had. I understand why they added that for the purpose of a a movie narrative to add like kind of like the the middleman actor bad guy, the the guy to like act on these evil things to make him look better. But 
it was it's kind of a similar feeling where it was like there's there's a lot of it in there i I think this movie definitely the thing that really sinks it down is the dialogue and the character development and the plot like you have all of these grand epic action sequences that are so well directed and these amazing visual effects that just sell the the virtual world and it just looks great and and you're totally sold on this on this adventure but there's just not enough thought put into the characters and not enough thought put into the plot and the arcs which that's also but, something you could say about the book like yes the book exactly is, the book is kind of shallow but obviously any book that gets made into a movie is obviously going to go deeper in a lot of different aspects than the movie does but so that was what i was getting at before whenever i was saying that i think that every fault with this movie is based on the source material and not with the movie itself i think that if you're gonna blame the lack of character development uh i mean you talked about really the hero's journey and all that stuff before drew but like I think that that's if you're gonna blame the movie for that, I think that's kind of lacking in the book as well. well like, I don't think that that's something. Well, that's maybe maybe really Klein that shouldn't have have adapted his own book. I but Perhaps, I disagree. I disagree but, though because straight up we were just saying the road to trials is in the book. You said there was too much of it in the book. It's there. Yeah, but like I still I I almost feel like it has its its it has its own shell of problems in the book as it does in the movie. And I feel like those problems are more of an abundance in the book than they are in the movie. Um, like for example, with the characters, you might argue that there isn't as much depth with them, but like with the high five, with the main five characters that we spend most of our time with, I had enough with those characters. I felt like I knew enough about H about Artemis, about, um, show Daito. Like I spend enough time with those characters, for, like forgetting what you know from the novel. Yes, exactly. Well, like, with the, with forgetting the... what I knew about the love about the novel itself. Like I was happy. Like I felt like it was enough where I could just be like, oh yeah, like Daito and Show. Those are the two ninjas. They're brothers yeah. together. Like I, I it, had enough there. It's a two hour movie. H was so, just like it yeah. was like this is this like cool best friend. Like she's a girl. Yeah, yeah. Like oh well. Like she's still a fucking badass in the oasis like that doesn't really matter um which um but i sorry i didn't mean to cut you off too much drew but another uh difference between the book and the movie that i wanted to point out is that daito actually dies in real life in the book mm. which is something that they cut IOI, out from the movie yeah. well and yeah, they cut out Kind of large part of the back half of the book. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think kind of smartly so as far as a movie goes, because if that would have happened in the in the movie, I feel like it would have reached a point where it'd just been like, no, it would have been like, oh yeah, there's that guy that we just met. That well, yeah, exactly. That's what, (laughs) yeah, that's exactly true. Because in order to kill Daito, you would first have to make us give a shit, and we didn't give a shit about either the Asian guys in this movie. I did. They showed. I cared about them after like thirty seconds. I like Show. Show was the most badass eleven year old I've ever met. Badass, but I don't care about someone because they're badass. You saw him for like a minute. I care about a Twitch streamer if they're badass, and (laughs) that's the whole point of this movie is like what their Uh, video game persona is. I you saw these dudes for like a minute, but. An even bigger thing is they cut out another part because the road to trials is mostly gone. The other part that's mostly gone is the dark night of the soul. 
aspect of the book, which it, it had to be done. It's a movie. You can't make a three hour. You could make a three hour movie, but I wouldn't watch it. Um, so they had to cut out the entire aspect where um, Wade is on the run and he's living, I think, somewhere in Asia in a skyscraper in this weird little pod. And he holds himself yeah, up. Yeah, and he has a yeah. shaved head and he gets pale and thin over months because he's grinding or something trying to... And that's, again, that's something that has to be cut out, but that's one of the main sources of depth that is drawn from the book. And See, I didn't really care for that part of the book. Okay, so this honest. this is something that Drew and I were talking about off mic, is if they would have made this book into two movies, you could have maybe... We, we were trying to think of a way to, to do that, to break off the first yeah, movie. Yeah, that's the problem. To that's make why it a cohesive you, yeah, first I, film. I wouldn't have liked that as much. That's, why, that's here, why you couldn't. Hear, hear me out. What if you set the first movie entirely in the Oasis, and then at the very end of the movie you cut to the real world and you set up the second movie where he goes on the run and it's primarily set in the, the real the, world. The only, the problem with your idea, because that's crazy and that's wild to think about is that that's too ballsy. And Spielberg also, would I not feel make like, that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I, I don't know. I just, I feel like I, it's has the classic two part problem where I end up just like not really giving a fuck about one of the halves of the parts because it's like, well, that doesn't really matter because there's still another part to go. Like, I feel that way with Deathly Hollows, with all of these movies that they choose to it's break half up a into movie. two parts. Yeah. I'm kind of worried about that with Infinity War, that it's going to be half of a fucking movie. Like, I don't care to see half of the story ready player one the movie was an entire story you can argue that it was cutting out parts of the story but it tells the full story itself yeah yeah uh i mean let's let's wrap it up so i'll say that you know overall i think this movie is very enjoyable i love the the climactic sequence at the end the big fight that's so cool um you know we this is not a pod- podcast where we're gonna go in and point out all the references and clap because we know them but there's a lot in them oh, master chief i know that yeah Dude, halo <laughs> there's there's a lot in there I, I i you know i try to go in this trying to turn my brain off into that and trying to enjoy the film as a film and and as a story without tying myself into the references but I found myself actually enjoying some of them. I, I, I rolled my eyes plenty of yeah. times, <laughs> a lot. And that's why this really, it, it brings down my, my kind of rating a lot. But that Iron Giant thumbs up into the lava, I was like, <laughs> okay, you got me. You fucking got me. You did it. You yeah, did it. And, exactly. And, and the Spielberg's uh, and the, the, uh, the fucking uh, Kubrick, the Kubrick sequence Come on, how are you not gonna love that? Like that was so that was really cool, beautifully so done. Like there is nothing about that. Even if you think that the whole zombie thing is is out of left field, it's like, come on, they're in a video game. Like, of course, there's gonna be that. So you you got to go into this movie expecting it to be outlandish and fucking weird and crazy. And I think. Spielberg just does a great job of directing all the action sequences and he gets a lot out of these actors, namely Olivia Cook and of course Mark Rylance. Like those are the two standouts here. There's nothing in this movie that I can really name as being a huge fault other than just kind of falling into this safe space of being 
this story that maybe we've seen a lot of times before. Um, there's a lot of people that are going to knock this movie for reasons other than what the movie is. And that's something that we've talked about on this podcast a lot is judging films outside of the film itself and pushing societal issues onto the film and expectations from society onto the film and the world that we live in. And that's something that gets really tiresome because of course we are going to go into cinema and into movies with our real world thoughts and and experiences. But at the end of the day, you just got to look at this as a movie. Like Mm. there's no way that Spielberg went into this trying to make a statement about society and trying to be like, yeah, like gamer guys are best. You know, I mean, here we are three, three guys reviewing this movie and, and, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of women out there that just hate this movie because it totally sidelines much of its um, female characters, but it doesn't, it it doesn't feel uh, offensive in any way. Like I, I don't look at this movie and think that it's like trying to boost up the male ego in any way. It's trying to celebrate nerd culture. And I think that's, Honestly, why a lot of people are hating it because it's trying to sell. It's going to be meme to death, meme to death. Like Uh, I can tell you that right now. Just like look at the scene of fucking Wade holding the golden egg at the end. Like that scene is going to just be fucking meme. A a lot of people look at this movie and they're like, "Oh, it's celebrating nerd culture." That means it's bad because nerd culture (laughs) is hostile and bad. And you know, I can't fault you for that. I can't tell you that you're wrong for thinking that. And if you hate this movie. I can't argue with you because there is a lot in this movie that you are right for hating and that you are right for taking your own real world experiences and bringing it into the film and interpreting the film in a way that rings true to your own life experience in 2018 earth. But come on, it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie and you shouldn't feel like you're like, like you're, wrong for for liking it i like this movie i don't want to feel bad for liking it i don't want to feel like i should be ashamed for enjoying this movie you know this is it's good i yeah i've i've named a lot of problems i had with this movie and overall i did enjoy it like i was in the theater i was like you know they they you know they did solid they didn't do it dirty they didn't do the book dirty i think any problem you might have with nostalgia culture can be kind of whisked away when you realize that this is based on an entire premise that was written before nostalgia culture was a thing almost like it was there in 2011, but like star Wars wasn't back in 2011. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't back till 2015. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's more prescient than it. The, the premise of the movie is more prescient than it is banking on something. Like I think regardless of where the culture went, the book was so movie ready that it was going to be made into a movie. Whether or not nostalgia culture had become such a huge thing that it did become. Um, I wasn't offended by any of the nostalgia shit in the movie. I was more offended when I felt like I was watching a a movie for nine-year-olds, which didn't happen that often. But there were a few scenes where I was like, I don't need this level of explanation. I'm not fucking stupid. Which Spielberg has a level of that in a lot of movies, but this was worse. This had moments of that that were worse than by far than any other Spielberg movie I've ever seen where it was like, you don't need to do this to me. Like, but either way, 
I enjoyed this movie. I wouldn't call it great, but I mean, I it's not like I felt like I wasted my money because I I had to see a 3D showing today, so I couldn't use my movie. Oh, pass. how was the 3D? It was fine. Yeah, it wasn't like I don't know. I I hardly even notice 3D anymore. That Chucky, hey, <laughs> that was. Oh, neat. we should um, shout out though the only f bomb in the yeah, movie. It's fucking Chucky. <laughs> it's fucking Chucky. I like I can fault this movie, and it did leave out things that I thought were pretty vital to the book but then there were a lot of adaptations that i was very impressed by and that i I didn't think of like i was thinking okay how are they going to change this and how are they going to change that and like the decision to make them meet in the middle of the movie that was something i didn't think of that ended up working out great Mm -hmm. there were other things that i thought worked out pretty poorly that they changed but overall i think that spielberg did a pretty good job when he has a lot of other shit he's also working on yeah I mean, you you can tell he put his all into this. It wasn't yeah. like the post where he was making it on the toilet. Exactly. Yeah, that was kind of one of my big thoughts um, from it is that this feels like Spielberg actually tried. And I feel like maybe that's one of the reasons why I really reacted so strongly to this movie. I, I really think this movie is great. Like, I tried to watch it a second time because... I watched this the first time and I was like, wow, I thought that was fucking great. And like, I read the reviews, I read the reactions, I wanted to see it a second time just to be like, all right, you know what? Like, I've seen all the negative criticism about this movie. I just want to try and like look at this movie less as a spectacle and more as just a piece of film. And I understand that people are going to hate this movie because, yeah, it relies on culture that isn't original like but i I don't understand the reference i don't think that is a detriment to this movie i really do not think that that is a detriment to how this movie is told and the story that it is trying to tell i understand that that is the world in which this exists and so it may sound a little bit contradictory but overall i really I just had a blast with this movie both times I saw it. I had um, a blast. I really, like, some people say that certain actors have a blast acting in a movie. I had a blast watching this Hunter movie. Hunter had a blast. Hunter Mobley had a blast. I, like, I really, I give this movie probably an 8 to an 8.2 out of 10. Like, I just, I thought this overall was just, this is what we make blockbuster billion dollar movies for. Like, I just thought that this was kind of the perfect is, execution. Is this going to be a billion dollar film? I think it is like worldwide. Eh. Why not? It's what it was. It's It's a, uh, I believe it's budget was $150 million or Maybe, something like that. If it's lucky. Um, I think that it's definitely going to make that. It's already at about $20 million just in the first couple days of release. So why yeah. not? All right. Good, um, good so for Spielberg. Overall, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I think that this is kind of Spielberg. I think that I know that this is probably going to be a little bit of a hot take just since this is a movie that relies on nostalgia. But I think that this is kind of going to be one of those movies like uh, I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, but one of those Spielberg movies that we look back on and we're just like, wow, that was, that was like, we just kind of look at it just as a piece of film or like, that's just a great story told. Yeah. And catch I me really, if you can. yeah, I, I, this really could have some catch me if you can effect to it where 
five, ten years from now, we kind of look back at it after Spielberg has retired from filmmaking. We're just like, wow, overall, that's just a great looking, great told story. You know, I I think Raiders of the Lost Ark might actually be a good movie. Yeah. Um, Okay, so quickly, I just want to talk about just just Halliday's Halliday's final line. Oh, boy. It's so good. That, so that, it, it ties so, the movie together. So to end, end to end my thoughts, I just want to say thanks for playing my game. And then while not making eye contact. I mean, reality is the only place where you can get a decent meal. Uh, oh, uh, don't make reality eye is the only place that's real. Yeah. And tears come streaming down yeah. her face. Reality is the only, it's the only oh place I can, I can make out with my girlfriend, Olivia, who has a birthmark, but I actually like her anyway. Yeah. Whose name is Samantha <laughs> Cook in the book and also Olivia Cook in she, real life. She who looks knows? exactly the same, except with a big old birthmark. Can yeah. we talk about how none of the characters are fat like they are in the book? Fuck you, Hollywood. Yeah. Well, okay. You can uh, follow us at We Bought a Mic on social media. Check out past episodes of the show. Yeah. Leave us a review on iTunes. Five stars, please only. Yeah. And if you want to find me on social media, then do it. I'm not going to tell you how. Yeah. I got to take a piss. Look at the fucking pod description. We put it in there every week. Ernest spends all this time annotating exactly when it happens. And Just do uh, it. But in, in case, uh, anyways, I'm at Hunt Mobley on Twitter. Yeah. And- uh, letterbox and uh i'm at calderonist on all that um use hashtag aswabam to send us questions thanks for everyone who sent us questions let us know what you thought of ready player one um or any of the other things we talked about on the show today next week we got uh a quiet place yeah it's yeah. time to get silent and spooky yeah with director jim helpert yeah well, uh, everyone, have a good Easter. Um, April Fools, everything was a joke. And this whole podcast hasn't been recorded. Bye. Bye.